Coming up on Front Row Material, we're going to be talking about the current wrestling news, what's going on, what things have caught our eye, and which things do we feel are kind of interesting. Then coming up uh, later on in our second segment, we're going to be talking to the referees again. Referees on some good road stories, and has anything ever happened in the ring that you had to say, oh my God, how do we handle this? All that and so much more, but let's go ahead and let's bring him in right now. He's my brother from the north. His name is Christopher Butt. What's going on, buddy? Mike, life is good. It's Tuesday. We get to hang out again. I missed last week, unfortunately. Things are good. Could be better. Could be worse. I'm on the right side of the grass. I'm not hungry. Life is fan. That is good, my friend. That is good. You've gotten a chance. I know you've been super, super busy, but you've gotten a chance to catch any any wrestling recently. I have a little bit. Um, okay. Not quite up to date, but yes, I, I have been doing my best. Yes. Well, I want to talk to you about, my first thing I want to talk about is, did you catch the story about how Brian Danielson is part of the discipline committee in AEW? Have you heard about that? Yes, I, I did read that. So let's let's kind of talk about that for a second here, because there seems to be a lot of, I don't know, a lot of people going online talking about, you know, how Brian Danielson was the one who ended up getting rid of CM Punk or got him fired or whatever that may be the case. I, you know what? Again, you cannot read and you cannot listen to the people on the Internet. I don't care who they are, what wrestling website they're from, yada, yada, yada. It's all a bunch of malarkey. But I do want to ask you this. Does it surprise you that Tony Khan has put together a committee of a talent who kind of oversees the locker room in some way? It doesn't surprise me because, let's be honest, his locker room is, at times has been out of control. And Tony can't exactly rein the boys in. It doesn't surprise me. Uh, what surprises me, honestly, is that he listened to it. That's probably my biggest surprise. I think it was a brilliant get some established veterans in there you know talent that have been there done that not necessarily been to the big show it's not always about that but that have been around that have ran the roads and are respect because you don't need to be a guy that was in wwe for 10 years to be respected by the talent you could be a guy that that ran the roads on independence and has a good reputation yes and will be respected by so so it's not necessarily necessarily just how up the mountain you've gone right but no I, I think it's fantastic that he did uh one question i i don't know so forgive me for this who is on this board what is the full lineup do you know it's a good question i don't know specifically who else is on the lineup i've been doing a little bit of research here to find out but i do know that it's actually um a, a good portion of it is lawyers as well so there's a legal committee that's involved with it as well and i think brian actually represents the the talent side of it. um so no other names were released as far as anyone else involved in it but i do know that danielson is the representative from the uh from the disciplinary council so Following the backstage brawl with Jack Perry in London at All In, uh, a lot of things started happening in AEW. You know, they learned a lot from what happened uh, the year before uh, at All In. And I think that was kind of one of those situations where things went off the rails pretty quickly. And I think when Punk was doing his, his press conference, it shouldn't have gotten as far as it did. I think Tony should have shut that press conference down. But we all know Tony's not that type of person, right? So Tony realized that going forward, he's going to need to have something in place, um, not only from a legal perspective, but just who else is in within the company who is, like you said, Butster, respected and seen as kind of a, a moral compass. So it was reported that Brian Danielson or Daniel Bryan and WWE, however you want to refer to him, is the head of the disciplinary committee. Now, it's a three-person committee, which includes 
Um, not only Danielson, but I did find this out here. General Counsel Chris Peck and an attorney. Now, the big question here is who is the main leader of the group? Now, again, there is the General Counsel Chris Peck, um, an outside attorney who probably is the one who um, gives all the information as far as Tony from a legal perspective on how things are going to work from a, from a perspective of, hey, is this worth this keeping the employee or not? Now, a source actually went out and reached out to Fightful, um, and they wanted to find out why Danielson was picked for this. And they said, and I quote, he is the appropriate moral compass who exemplifies objectivity. In his duties, he spoke to other members of the AEW roster, and it was difficult to come to a final decision, but he felt it was what he had to make. Now, Fightful did know exactly how the decision-making process goes down, which person of that committee has more stroke or not, but it is a belief that CM Punk knew Danielson did play a role in his release. Daniel is said to be part of the committee whose duties is to find wrestlers that need to be. Um, and, and that's kind of in, in italicis is fine, meaning, you know, if somebody does something wrong, doesn't show up on time, whatever, um, is missing call times or is doing something you shouldn't do, then they're going to be fine. But this one obviously uh, went a little bit further than that. Uh, the news came out. It was an intriguing way for Danielson, who uh, always is very open with how he re responds on social media. Um, but he did say that he was a part of the committee, but he wasn't, in fact, the one who um, was the final vote in firing him. Um, Danielson went out and tweeted this on November 27th. My dad always told me the right thing is often the hardest thing to do. It won't always make the most money. It won't always be the most popular, but it's still the right thing. Hashtag AEW in a heart emoji. Um, I mean, I guess if you have to look at it from this perspective, you know, you have a situation where Danielson is not somebody who's going to look at AEW in a way of, well, we need to keep CM Punk. If we don't keep him, the ship is going to go down. He has to look at it from a perspective of we have a lot of people that their jobs are on the line here. And the last thing that we need to do is have somebody who is potentially going to continue to disrupt the locker room, continue to do things that really is not in the ideology of what this company was founded upon. And he had to make a, a tough call. And it sucks that his name got revealed because I don't think it should have. Unfortunately, that's the way things work out. Danielson then had to respond to it. And, uh, and there we are today. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see what happens, but I will say this: outside of Danielson, who do you think if if it wasn't Danielson, who else do you think would be a good spot for that uh, member on the on the panel as far as the talent side is concerned? Dustin Rhodes, Mox, um, Jericho, uh, Eddie Kingston. I'll be honest with you; he might be a bit of a a wild card at it. But he's respected. He'll put up with zero bullshit. He might fly off the handle sporadically. No, there might be the occasional fisticuff in the back, which is what they're kind of getting away from. But he'd keep him in check. Right? I'm not sure that's necessarily always a bad thing. We've had this conversation numerous times. I mean, I, I come from a hockey background when I was a young fella. No. Fisticuffs happened in practice. Fisticuffs happened in the locker room. You know, players only meeting. Next thing you got two guys just beating the stuffing right out of each other. Might not necessarily be good or right. Sort shit out pretty quick, though. Yeah, it does. I think that when you look at 
having somebody as the locker room leader, like we, we've learned this obviously through time, but um, the Undertaker, uh, Mark Calloway was a big part of maintaining law and order as far as the locker room was concerned in WWE. And I think that that you need somebody to do that as well. You need to have somebody who kind of looks over the guys. You need to have that liaison, that person like a Shivani, who the locker room leader can go to and say, hey, listen, you're going to have to run this up the flagpole. This ain't flying right now. And then obviously Tony's going to have to be the one who makes the final decision. But I think it's a good thing in a way. Um, because if you have somebody that people respect, they're less likely to step out of line, which means if they're less likely to do that, then you're less likely to have more problems going up the food chain um, with management. Now, That's every company, every, it, it, job, it every workplace. Every workplace. No, no, how things are handled, you at school, you know, if you and, and the, the science teacher don't get along, you can't scrap it out in the, in the staff room. Right. Pretty sure that's frowned upon. Yeah, that's a no-no. Even for Ohio. But, <laughs> you know, but, it's, but you get what I'm saying. But if you have uh, you know, a teacher that's been around for a bit and you go to said teacher, hey, Mr. So-and-so is a pain in my ass. We got stuff going on. You know, if that other teacher is pretty well-respected, first off, you, you need that. So if you're not respected, nobody gives a damn. Correct. Scold me all you want. I don't respect you. It's irrelevant. That is correct. But if they're well respected, they can go to teacher, whoever it is, but listen, you and Mike aren't seeing eye to eye. Mike's pissed off. You know, what's the issue? Let's get your side of the story. Because let's be honest, the truth is not going to be your side and it's not going to be the other guy's side. And I'm not saying you're a liar. Somewhere in the that, middle. That's all of us. Every single person. I'm going to play it to where. I'm, you know, taking a, a lesser part of the issue, causing less of the issue, we'll say, and and they're going to sort it out. That That's every, you know, work environment from here to kingdom come. It, every place needs something like that. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. Now, as far as who I would pick as far as the committee, so you picked, you know, potentially Moxley, um, you said Jericho, Dustin Rhodes, and then potentially a wild card being Eddie Kingston. Um, I may go slightly different with mine. Uh, I think some people that I would put on a committee um, might vary a little bit as far as their experience and whatnot. I would say uh, Madison Rain is with the company, and I think Madison Rain would do an amazing job in a role like that. Personally, I think from a female perspective, I think she would do a great job with that. She's been around. She's been a backstage person. She knows what's going on. She's worked with talent. I think that's a good, a good solid pick right there. Um, as far as the male talent is concerned, I think it becomes a little bit more difficult. I would say Adam Copeland, but unfortunately, because Adam has just gotten to AEW, that might be a little too much to, to expect from him or to put on his plate right now. But as far as the guys, I'm trying to think here. Um, I think Billy Gunn would probably be a, a good pick, uh, in my opinion. Good I call. I never thought of him. I think he'd be a good pick. I think Christopher Daniels could be a good pick. Um, I'm trying to think think of it i'm ro i'm scrolling through here trying to see other people that i feel like would be universally respected um i think jay lethal would be a good guy to have on that as well i think jeff jarrett might be somebody who would be good to have on that as well mm. i don't know there's just there, there's a bunch of people i think have 
the experience and what's best for business is is the most important thing. I definitely wouldn't do the young bucks. I wouldn't do Kenny. That's a that's a conflict of interest completely. Christian, uh, see, I don't know. I think you would have to. Go, I think a guy like Sting might be a good pick. I think he is because you don't want to have somebody who's that removed or or is far enough removed, but yet they're still considered pretty active. Like I would also say Samoa Joe would be a good guy. Because Joe has spent so much time on the indies, I mean, much like Jay Lethal, and they both have a great reputation. Um, I, I think that would be that would be my picks right there. Speaking of Jay Lethal, how's that outlet on your wall? It's six feet up. It's still there. I actually had a certified electrician um, who happens to be my brother-in-law, my wife's brother. He came in and he said that is not out of the ordinary. That's actually uh, the level for a kitchen outlet. It's in your living room. No, it's in the dining room. It's in the dining room. So, I don't know. I guess it's uh, still uh, still kosher when it comes to that. But uh, just getting back to this. So, Danielson obviously, you know, spoke his piece. And now Punk is gone. And, you know, let me ask you. When it comes to the whole CM Punk situation, a lot of people were wondering where was he going to go. You know, WWE said that he wasn't, you know, they weren't interested in bringing him back, et cetera, et cetera. It was also reported that a either a high six-figure contract was going to be offered to CM Punk if he was willing to go to Impact Wrestling. But he ultimately comes back to WWE. And, you know, it's, we have said this so many times before, and you're classic for saying this. Anytime you bring another person in, that means less time for somebody else, right? So it's a it's a situation of how is the group that's in WWE the locker room going to respond to this because somebody's time is going to be cut short because somebody else is coming in for sure and if somebody who left on not the greatest terms and then left AEW on not the greatest terms and has a reputation for being a dickhead yeah for a lack of better terms yeah like he, he doesn't have the greatest reputation. No. How long is his leash in, in WWE? Because if 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 I'm legal or I'm Pritchard or whoever's doing contracts, there's a clause. I'm making sure there is a clause in. If you act out of line, you're gone. No severance. No bullshit like that. You are gassed on the spot. See you later. No, I don't know if they could do it, but I'd have it in there. Say if he's on a three-year deal, you can't wrestle nowhere else till your contract expires. Like I would, I would put something nasty in that contract where I'm holding his feet to the fire because you know he's a wild card. He and a is. wild card is one thing, but he, he's he's a dickhead. Well, like you you rarely hear people say good stuff about him. And that's a sign. No, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I mean, to play devil's advocate here, there are some people who have definitely said that they, they did enjoy being around him. And some people in AEW did say he did stuff for the younger guys as well. Um, but you got to also keep in mind in AEW, there's a few things that happen there that don't happen in WWE. First of all, management rules the roost in WWE. That's just the way it works management signs your checks and if they say this is what's going to happen that's what's going to happen with aew 
it's a lot looser, which in some ways is kind of good because it gives talent a little bit more of a freedom. The bad side is, and, and we've talked about this, is that Tony, it appears Tony wants to be the nice guy. Tony wants to be the good cop and, and never wants to be the bad cop. And and that's a big, big problem when you don't have strong leadership from your main guy. Um, would you say this is comparable to the way the Ultimate Warrior was and handled in WWE versus the way the Ultimate Warrior was and handled in WCW? That's an interesting take. I never thought about that. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's probably just about bang on the money. And the reason I the reason I bring that up is because when we think about the Ultimate Warrior, he was a guy who did a lot of stuff, a lot of unsavory stuff in WWE, and Vince would fire him. And then Vince would ultimately choose to bring him back again. But the big thing about the Ultimate Warrior was he was always kept on a very tight leash. Very tight leash. As far as his promos, what he did, all of that kind of stuff. He goes to WCW in, what, like 1996, and Eric Bischoff's in charge. And what happens there is, you know, he said he was trying to work with the Warrior but it doesn't really seem like there was a lot of control and structure in WCW. I don't think I'm saying anything that's a shocker to anyone. But he did that 30-minute promo when he first came out. And it was just kind of like, what the hell's going on? And then he was hard to deal with. And there were so many things that happened. So I think when you look at a CM Punk, he's in that same category as the Warrior. Meaning super over, no doubt about it. The crowd loves him, no doubt about it. But yet, it's one of those things where it's like, God, is it really worth all of the hassle and the pain and the everything? Um, I, I think you have to determine where are we going? What is our game plan? Because I think if you're AEW, your game plan is the next generation. It should be. The young guys, right? It, it be. can't be guys that are 44, 45 plus. Hey. It, I mean, it's just it's wrestling. It just can't because it doesn't seem as realistic now. Yeah, you have your Christian Cages, and yes, you have your Jerichos, and yeah, you have your Dustin Rhodes, and you have your Sting. But again, they're used sparingly to the point where it they can get away with it. A CM Punk, I mean, he is injury prone, and you're tying a lot of money up for one person when you probably could be investing in your future with said money. And he's what forty six. So what do you? It really depends on what your priorities are. Now, do I think they're going to make him a big focal point right now because it's so hot with him coming in? Yeah, they'll probably put you know a lot of focus on him right now. Now, do I think after that he's going to be a main thing? I think that may really cool down a lot, in my opinion. I think if the fans are still clamoring for him. Which he has got a cult of fans. Why? And why his is that? fans are diehard? But why though? What makes him any different than any other talent out there? Like when I look no, at him, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. That I don't know. But Warrior was the same thing. He was the same way. We're let's like no, not to speak ill of of the man. You know, he he's passed on and. He wasn't a good wrestler. No. In, in the ring. Correct. He couldn't talk a lick. Correct. 
Looked like a million bucks. Don't get me oh, wrong. Man, he like, he, he looked awesome. amazing. Yes. Right? He had that great um, persona. Mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm saying that right. Persona, that, mystique. Mystique, um, yeah. Something like that, you know. Just giant dude, you know, just muscles on top of his muscles. The face paint was amazing. The long flowing hair. He'd come ripping down the aisle. You know, the arm bands flying, shake the shit out of the rope. It's perfect. You know, he was, then bell rang, and you knew it was going to be a four-minute match. Well, we didn't know then because we were kids. I didn't know anyhow. I didn't understand four-minute matches to 20-minute matches. I could tell time pretty early. I strongly doubt that. But nonetheless, but you know, like you didn't understand all of that part of it as a kid. You, you really didn't. You didn't. You, you didn't get it. Not like we do now. And we were probably better off then, not knowing it than now. And, but Warrior was just, he was over. Yeah. Because he looked like a superhero. Right. But Punk doesn't look like a superhero. No. But he's anti-superhero? Um, I, think, I think that that's a fair assessment, yeah. You know, he's a straight-edge guy, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, doesn't use any kind of drugs. He He's against the, not against the world, but you know what I mean? He, I don't know, he's like, it's me against everybody attitude. He does He does present himself as the world versus me, and, and I'm this. He always pr presents himself as being the guy who's always being, you know, put down and the guy who's always being held down and he always looks at the audience and says I'm one of you and and I know some people in Chicago and I can honestly tell you right now um, there are some stories that would make your eyes roll um, when you would hear this and this comes from very credible people people that I know personally that would never lie and they would tell me some some stories and uh, it's just at the end of the day, look at the, the the promo that Hangman cut. It's not about being a champion when the camera's on. It's when the camera light goes off, when you're backstage, right? That's when you really see someone's true colors. And, you know, some of the people I've talked to said, yeah, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Probably a lot of unsavory things I could tell you. So let's just, I don't He's going to get over. He will be over. Fans will love him. Punk's the type of guy, if he wanted to, he could wrestle till he was 65 or 70 years old. And people will still show up. I don't, I don't know what it is. It they would. People love him. I know. Now, who would you say? Okay, let me ask you this question since we're kind of on the punk thing here. Who would you say is comparable just by personality, charisma, whatever it is? Is there anyone else out there that you can think of, wh whether it's current or in the past? They just have that. Like they, it, it never gets old. The shit is always there whenever they walk out. Well, we covered one warrior. Um, Stone Cold. I mean, once he became Stone Cold, not new Stunning Steve. No, no, I get this. Once cold he became the Stone Cold. Would you say John Cena is definitely one of those guys who could come back at any point in time and people would still yep. be very happy to see him? For sure. Um, we'll go, once again, this, this gentleman has, has passed on, but 
Hot Rod? Roddy Piper? Roddy Piper, I can see that. Do, do you yeah. think Flair has that same thing, or do you think that's kind of died down? To a lesser extent. But yeah. I mean, if Flair was going to be an event up around here, I'd probably go. Yeah. There's, there's a good chance I would, within reason. I mean, sure. I'm not I'm not paying two hundred bucks a seat to see Ric Flair, but absolutely not, right? But I mean, if if I could get a ticket for a good ticket for seventy, eighty, hundred bucks, yep, I would. Okay. Um, Mick Foley. Okay, Mick Foley could always come out and still get a big pop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. Taker, obviously. I mean, that's that's a no brainer there. Yeah. I mean, if they announced the Taker was on, you know, Monday night, ratings instantly jack right through the roof. You well, know, you guys came out and cut a promo for 45 seconds and left. Right. You, But you got to think about this. There's few and far between people who have that level of mm-hmm. um, the cult, the worshiping and all that kind of stuff. I can honestly tell you, I don't think I know very many people who actually have that. And the people that we've named, that's a very elite list. That's a very selective list that people – no matter what year it is, no matter what happens, they would still come out and see uh, and support that person. Yeah. What about um, Hulk? Oh, would God. you put him in that category? I, I would not. I would not. And, and I think the main reason why is because the whole, um, when he was recorded in his home, he made some racial comments that were not, and I don't think he meant them in the way that they were received. But nonetheless, the comments uh, were not savory. Fair. And I, I I think he would never still be the same anymore, even in WWE. So, no. Nope, not anymore. I think that time is officially, uh, officially passed. I, I want to talk about this too. You know, this is kind of along the CM Punk lines here. We talk about people who might be not getting a big of a push now that Punk is back. One name that continues to come up is Drew McIntyre. So Drew McIntyre's contract comes up, I want to say, in January uh, or very early in 2024. And he has not yet signed a new deal yet. And there's a lot of feeling within the company. There's a reason why he did not sign a new contract yet. And is it partially because of Punk? Is it partially because he feels like, you know, maybe things haven't worked quite the way he had hoped for them to work out? Possibly. And I think the other situation is this L.A. Knight. You got to think about this. L.A. Knight was was white hot. And not to say he's cooled down, but, I mean, now all of a sudden, you know, the fans get found an old toy in the garage that they always loved that they thought they lost. You know what I mean? So it's one of those situations where does LA Knight unfortunately kind of get tempered down? What happens? If they temper LA Knight down for CM Punk, that will be so foolish that I that'd be dumb. Plain and simple, that will be dumb. Because LA Knight. What he has achieved is something you cannot make. You cannot create this. He's He's got lightning in a bottle. 
and it's purely organic. It's yep. not they pushed him and he caught on. He got himself over. So if they bury him for CM Punk, and not even bury him, but cut him back right. to put CM Punk over, right? that would be fooey, to, to put it mildly. It would that be that would fooey, just be nonsense. Because you can ride the LA Knight out for tell you can't. Right. And generally when somebody gets over like he is, once again, organically, you can ride that for a bit because he's yeah. gotten, he's done something himself that made the fans love him. Yeah. Ride that before you bring in CM Punk. I think because with CM Punk in two years time, if they decide to give him a push, same amount of fans. Right. You could have Punk wrestle once a month, cut a promo twice a month, and people will still love him. He is wrestling's David Koresh. Oh my God. That's that. Wow. You're drinking the Kool Aid. Wow. Right. Wow. And they love him. Yeah. Right. So you don't need to push him. You know, your ratings are already peaked because you brought him in. Right. And if you push him, you're not going to get more fans. I really don't think you will. Well, I, I think if in any way, if we see, not necessarily Drew McIntyre, but if we see LA Knight getting tempered down to some degree, I think that will be the biggest injustice ever. Think about it from this perspective. It's funny because you know how we draw parallels. So the parallel that immediately comes to mind for LA Knight is Jake Roberts. And here's what I mean by that. Jake Roberts was white hot. And Jake Roberts was supposed to be the heel in working a big program with Hogan. And this was supposed to be Jake's big moment. I don't know if you remember him talking about this in interviews and whatnot. That was supposed to be his big thing. Well, unfortunately, they had to move away from that. And Jake never ended up getting that big push, that big run, uh, working a program with Hogan. And I feel like that really had an effect on the trajectory of, of Jake's career. So now let's compare that to this. If he does not get that opportunity, meaning L.A. Knight, we're going to have a big issue here because L.A. Knight has busted his ass and worked very, very hard. He's gotten over, and now all of a sudden, because someone else walks in the door, ah, sorry about that, pal. You're going to have to uh, you're going to have to get in the back seat because someone else is driving the car now. That's a problem. I would be really, really upset about that if I was L.A. Knight because this guy just came back to the company. I've been doing my thing for over a year now. I mean, I, he was a maximum male model, and word was it that you know Vince McMahon wanted to fire him before they worked with Triple H, worked with him, and repackaged him. So yeah, I mean, the guys put in the time. Goodness gracious, to shoot him down at this point to cut his knees out, I think that would be a very that'd be a very big mistake. I couldn't have said it better. Like, um, just. Maybe a little off topic. Sure. So, so when Jake lost his run with Hogan, I, I assume it was due to his demons. 
No, no, it was not due to that. Um, he was supposed to, and I'm trying to remember the exact reason for that. Um, I want to say, interestingly enough, it might have been due to the warrior. I'm going to have to pull that information back up again. Um, but yeah, that was that was the thing that Jake always talks about as being something that just didn't work well for him because of um, because of the the circumstances. I want to bring up something else really quickly as well. AEW has been very successful in signing free agents. And the reason why, and, and this is this is absolutely true, you guys, Tony Khan's pockets are way deeper than Vince McMahon and WWE. Way deeper. And the reason why is because when it comes to financial uh, decisions made for a company that is a publicly traded company, TKO now is a publicly traded. They have to keep the financial books pretty consistent, right? Tony Khan does not have to do that. He doesn't have to answer to anybody, probably except his father. So they have signed Kota Ibushi. They've signed Jay White. They have recently signed Will Ospreay. And I'm telling you right now, the one guy that is a free agent that both companies would like to have is Kazucha Okada. His contract is about to end as well. WWE wants Okada because he teamed up and was part of a faction in New Japan with Shinsuke Nakamura. And they also were trying to reach out into that sector of the world to kind of extend WWE's reach, right? Because they're going to be relaunching WWE Europe, which used to be WWE, um, I guess, NXT. NXT. Yeah. So they're trying to reach different markets. And I know India is on their list of markets. But they definitely think if they could go ahead and get Okada... Now, he is 36 at this point. That would be a big get for WWE. When I say Okada in WWE, what do you think the odds of him going to WWE versus the odds of him going to AEW? Which one would you say that he would feel more intrigued about? And which promotion do you think fans would respond to him better? Fans respond to him better in AEW. Uh, he'll have more freedom. Uh, it's the same same song and dance. If somebody goes to WWE, you're not you anymore. Well, he'll still be Okada. They're not going to change his name, obviously. Right. That that'd be foolish. But he won't have the same freedom. I mean, Okada. Not not that you're old at thirty six, but there's a lot of miles on him. This is very true, and the way they work in Japan is completely, yeah. I mean, it's it's, it's pretty violent. It's pretty it's rough. Strong style, straight up. Yes. I think he would be better off physically with AEW. Sure, it's a later schedule. He'll have more freedom, more creativity. Now, in Japan, do they view WWE as the top of the mountain, the same as it's viewed here in North America, because if they do, that's going to have a big factor in it. Okay, so that's a great question. I don't know how the Japanese culture, when it comes to wrestling, looks at North American wrestling. That's a great question. I don't know. But what I will say is, if it was really looked at as the the top of the mountain, why wouldn't Jay White, who's in his prime, go to WWE? Because they wanted Jay White, by the way. Will Ospreay, 
is even younger. Why wouldn't he go to WWE? There's a lot of reasons that these two guys didn't go to WWE, and I think the big reason why is because of the freedom. It's a lighter schedule, as you mentioned before, but they don't have umpteen million producers to run stuff by. They're actually allowed to hone their craft and be who they are as a person. And I think if that were not able to be made or to be done, I think those guys would be would be upset to be a caricature of themselves in some way. Well, that's what's going to happen when they go to WWE. They're, it's going to have to be a watered-down, tamed-down version. Okada... Does he not do a bit of deathmatch wrestling? I am not familiar with him doing deathmatch wrestling. Or hard, maybe not deathmatch, but hardcore no, wrestling? I, or am no, I having him confused he, with somebody else? I think you do. Um, oh, I'm thinking a Onita. lot more from a technical standpoint. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I was thinking Onita there for a second. Sorry, because he's gone more to the... Uh, right, the Moxley hardcore. route. Yeah. yeah, sorry. I apologize. I mean, no, so I stand corrected on that. But he's got to draw because Okada and Kenny had some great matches. No, they did have some great matches. They did. They were ninety-three stars at the Tokyo Superdome Arena. That's enough. That's enough. You got to show respect to Uncle Dave. I am. I just said he's nine hundred two stars. That's not even respectful. I don't. I never get that right. And you know, you ever visited Corgan Hall? Was yeah, Billy on it? Yep, we're done. We're done. I don't All know right. what Corgan Hall is. We're going to go hold now. Hold on a second. We're not talking about the VFW down the street. Let's go ahead. Let's 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 table this conversation right now. Let's VFW go ahead and let's bring in the reps. We're tabling this, okay? Now you're making fun of Japan and Dave Meltzer. Two things you don't do. I'm going to make fun of you, too. not talking about Brian Alvarez, either. No, just Mike Freeland. After we get done with our segment with the referees, we're going to come back and, and finish this conversation. We're also going to talk about uh, Mercedes Monet. What are going to be some reasons that she may or may not want to come to a specific promotion? All of that and TV rights deals. We haven't even talked about that. I got some new information about that as well. But let's go ahead and let's pause right now. It's front row referee time. Let's go ahead and bring them in. The two guys you are familiar with, the ECW legend. You can also find him just about anywhere in the Northeast. He is an icon himself. He won't admit that, but he is. It's Jim Molyneux. Jim, let's bring him on in. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. Wow, I'm really close to that. Wow, how about that? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I am doing splendid, my friend. It's uh, it's good to see you. I know you were you're a busy man. <laughs> well, I was I was down for a week with uh, with a really bad cold, and, and that the that Tuesday that um, we were going to do a show, I was just really sick, and I, I was catching a flight Thursday <laughs> to uh, to Florida to spend the week with with my wife and and go down and visit the kids. So I, I just wanted to relax and, and take every form of over-the-counter medicine I could to get rid of it. And then, of course, we we traveled uh, for a day, so we you know we were a little little hectic, but um, not really hectic with in December with uh, as far as the wrestling goes. Um, it, it's it's nothing really to worry about or anything. But Friday, I'm having surgery to remove what's. It's left on on my nose here, 
nothing to worry about. Everything's cool. Um, they're just taking the rest of my nose. No, I mean, <laughs> Jesus. Oh my God. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're taking what they need to take and, uh, everything's fine. No problem. Um, and I don't have anything for the, I wanted to take December off pretty much anyway. Uh, just to get the house ready for, for the holidays and the kids come home for the holidays. Um, and then the, I actually have one show. Um, it's and funny. It's December 31st. I waited till the last minute, uh, new promotion in, in New Jersey called SPO. Okay. Um, the superstar super, superpowers of wrestling. I think that I, if, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I, I apologize, but, uh, it's run by, uh, Johnny Cashmere. Okay. And, um, also, uh, HC Loke is involved too. So between the two of them, they, they nice. invited me to come and be a part of it. Um, so I'm kind of like their, their matchmaker, commissioner, enforcer, boss type of thing. Um, and that's going to be December 31st, two 30 in the afternoon, Burlington city, New Jersey. If you're, if you are in the area, check it out. Johnny cashmere against uh, homicide is the main event to oh, determine wow. the first champion. And the, the two have, have wrestled each other before, uh, in tag team, uh, but have never wrestled each other in singles. So it'll be interesting. It'll be a first time. We're going to plug that show also before the night is over. SPOWrestling.com. Let's go ahead and let's bring uh, Nick Papa G in here. What's going on, buddy? What's up, guys? How are you? Nice you to wake up. Yeah, yeah. Surprisingly, I just woke up about 20 minutes ago. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) About 20 seconds ago. No, yeah. Yeah, It feels like it. It was 17-hour... 17-hour days on Mondays are always fun. Oh, my gosh. So let me ask you this. How was, uh, how was the holidays and how's life treating you? No, everything's doing good. Everything's peaceful and stuff like that. So I'm kind of just laying low right now. So just like just like what Jim, Jim actually had, I'm, like, I'm just getting over a cold myself from uh, last week. So I'm like, yeah, it's, it's the season. Yeah, it's always fun. Seems to be a lot of those things going around nowadays. So by all means, uh, hopefully listeners will take care of themselves, uh, get rest, drink plenty of fluids. And uh, man, it's it's crazy. You know, you just get done with the whole COVID thing. And now there's all these different strands of this out and that out. I heard there was something called the white lung pneumonia. Did you guys hear about this in the media? <laughs> no, I, I heard I heard of a different strand of pneumonia out there and stuff like that. God only knows what you pick up in the wrestling locker rooms too nowadays too. Oh so. my! Oh, gee. make sure you wear the flip flops. Uh-huh. Um, coming up tonight yeah. in our segment, we are going to be talking about, and we kind of touched upon this before, but some really good car stories. Obviously, I I love to hear stories about you know what are some wild things that have happened in the car, but then also we're going to touch upon some things that have happened in the ring as a referee. You go, what the hell just happened? And uh, how do we keep things going here? So uh, I'm going to start off with Jim, uh, who, believe it or not, from Mikey and Jerry and people I've talked to, ECW is a lot more structured out there than it was portrayed to look like on TV. Is that correct? Absolutely. And and that's a testament of how well you guys made it look like it was just this fight club mentality where it was this you got to see it where anything can happen where – that was how dedicated everyone was. Everyone played a huge role in the product itself, but obviously sometimes things can get a little, a little hairy. 
Um, we know injuries definitely can happen, you know, broken necks and whatnot. Let me first start off with you, Jim. Anytime we're like, oh, my God, this injury just happened or, you know, we've heard about a lot of classic injuries that have happened in ECW, broken necks and Sabu and uh, Terry Funk getting that that chair that was caught on fire from Cactus Jack. Anything that you saw that you were just like, holy crap, I don't think this was supposed to be going down. Yeah, actually, the one that, that always comes to mind first is uh, Jack Victory shattering his knee. Um, at the uh, November pay-per-view, November November pay-per-view in in New Orleans, uh, the match was supposed to be Jack Victory and just incredible against Tommy Dreamer, and um, and we brought in uh, Jake Roberts, Jake the Snake, and I think they were just running the ropes, and Jack Jack tagged out, and as he was getting back through the ropes, the they hit the ropes and, and he went flying and he went knee first on the concrete and completely shattered his, his knee. And it, it took it was at least a year recovery. And he never really did come back the way he was. Jack was in good shape. He was, he was having good matches um, with us. Um, and I just remember, wow, he's, he's down on the floor. He's not getting up. And without even stopping to think about it, um, Jason Knight, who was just incredible's manager at the time, hopped up on the ring and took the tag, took over the the spot for that Jack Victory uh, would have been in, um, just out of instinct. You know, just somebody's got to be there, so it's it's my it's my job to be there and do it. And uh, but uh, yeah, that they carried Jack out on a stretcher and everything. It was it was pretty nasty. It's interesting you mentioned that because it fit the ECW model of, guess what? Another guy's in the match now. So it really didn't really probably feel like anything was out of the ordinary. Um, obviously, you know, people who probably saw the injury probably knew he was he was hurting pretty bad. But when it comes to some of these injuries, um, you know, we heard Sabu, you know, with the barbed wire and, and all of that kind of stuff. We've heard that, you know, it got caught in his skin and then you could – his his uh, tendons, his muscles. It looked like spaghetti was coming out. Tore bicep out of his arm. Now, were you were you part of? I'm trying to think. Were you part of that that three way dance? Um, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Was it when the the night the line was crossed? Yes, I, I was the ref for that match. That's what I thought. What was your What was your thoughts on that? Because that was an iconic match, not just in ECW, but in wrestling in general. Yeah, well, um, me and. I, I just took it as a regular match, as a regular assignment, and and never really gave it any thought during the match as to, you know, here, I'm doing the match, and this is important for the company. But I, I don't think I realized until maybe a month or so later uh, when DVD sales, when it, when, when it went on sale as a DVD, or uh, DVD, videotape, video um, and how the sales went through the roof for it and, and the trading went through the roof for it because tape trading was the big thing. And I, that was really the first match that, that got the company over uh, outside of the, the Philadelphia viewing area or outside of the, the people that were hardcore and came in to, to see the shows. Um, I think that's the first match that, that really put ECW on the map on, on a national and international level. And it wasn't until then that we were like, wow, 
you go back and watch that. That was that was really important. I was like, wow, I'm in I'm involved in an important match. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And and people ask me all the time, what's your favorite match? And I really don't have a favorite match or, or you know even a handful of matches. But the way I look at the matches um, that I was involved in uh, is the level of importance to to ECW that you know helped us get to to this level and then helped us get to the next level, move you know further up and up and up. That if I was involved with matches that did that, that's what kind of makes me think of. Just uh, like when you're refing a, a match where like a, a barbed wire match or a, a death match or a ladder match or whatever it be, how do you prepare for that? Like, <laughs> like, what, do you just say, fuck it. Let's see what happens. Hope for the best. Like, I, I assume there's more to it than that. But like, don't does, get don't get. How does the meeting distance. go before yeah. the match? Don't get in reaching distance of anything that can hurt me. <laughs> is is the, what goes through my mind first. Um, I haven't done a lot of death match. In fact, I don't think I've really done any death matches. You know, if you want to consider some of the matches in ECW death matches before they actually were. Okay, I did them, um, but we never can never use the terminology. Um, Nick's the master at, at death matches. <laughs> far, far from that, but <laughs> the master of, of surviving them. Of surviving, yeah, <laughs> I can do. That's more believable there. <laughs> I remember it was a conversation. Um, Sandman, who God love him. I mean, he just. I feel like he's just one of those guys who's just brutally honest. Meaning he's got no reason. He's not going to, he's not going to bullshit you. I mean, but he was giving a shoot interview and I don't know if it was with um, RF video or who it was with, but he said uh, when they brought him in, they didn't know what to call him, but then he said his nickname was always hack. So they went ahead and they went with that. But I guess he was supposed to be doing a hardcore match because they brought the hardcore title into WCW. And he was like, this barbed wire's rubber. This isn't gonna work. So it's ECW. It, it literally was straight from Home Depot. It, it literally was what <laughs> yeah. it was. Yeah, advertised as being, as opposed to you know baseball bats and whatnot in WCW. There's that classic shot of when Sting had a baseball bat, but Big Show stepped on it, and it turned out <laughs> to be a foam bat. Um, did you ever question? when things got a little intense as far as like, man, should I really, should, should we have a conversation <laughs> about how far we take things? Or did you feel Jim that the guys are all professional? They're not going to take it to the point where someone is going to be seriously hurt. Yeah. I, I, I had confidence in the guys that they knew what they were doing. Um, you know, a anything could go wrong with working with inanimate objects. Um, you know, a table can can break a lot easier or it can break not at all, um, which is worse. It, it depends on, you know, how, how you look at it and how it goes through with the match. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I had confidence in, in the guys with most of their stuff. And I, I think Nick's kind of seen this, too, where it, it just um, it, ECW didn't do this. Well, maybe we did. 
uh, fans bring weapons. Uh, fans brought weapons anyway. <laughs> oh my God! Yes, you know, the, the, the dollar store was right next door. So they, they would. <laughs> you were great the for their store. business. Yeah, they loved us. So they, we, they would shop at the dollar store and get those little flimsy frying pans and whatnot. Um, but I, I've seen matches where fans bring matches and they collect the or fans bring weapons and they collect the weapons and they put them in the back and, and the guys are going to them like are these people crazy with, with some of the stuff that they bring to, to be used and, you know homemade you know stuff it looked like you know like those those robot competitions you know where they they have the the chopping saw blades I remember watch, watching an episode, and I thought I saw someone have a garrote in the front row, and I thought, holy shit, please, 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 this cannot be real, but I guess it was. I mean, I guess people literally, they suspended, I think with ECW, it was easy to sus suspend disbelief. It was easy, because it was Fight Club. It was it was real. It wasn't this hokey character goofy stuff it was it was real and it was visceral and you could taste it and smell it and you know i think that's what brought a lot of you know authenticity to the product um, but i i think a lot has to do with the times is that in ecw you know everybody says oh you guys were tables and barbware and all that stuff but it meant something yes. where a lot of you know uh, i'll say it aew they they start off their matches with you know a barbed wire match. They start off their feuds with a barbed wire match. It has to build to things like that to to get it to be important and to make it. You know why why do you need barbed wire in your first match that you ever met? You know you've ever met what well, you have a problem with the guy you've never wrestled him before. You know why do you need to be encased in barbed wire? Uh, you know things things made sense. <laughs> Believe it or not, in ECW. It was it was controlled chaos. So this will be the last episode for Jim on the show. Apparently, Freeland is totally not calling you back again. So it's been good meeting you. I that's hope your right. wife doesn't hate that's us right. too much. That's right. Meltzer doesn't talk to me either. I got blocked. Well, you deserved it, Freeland. So. I want to I want to throw this out here for Nick. Um, Nick, I mean CZW. Uh, it 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 obviously was something that it kind of was on the heels of what ECW kind of kind of started, and in a lot of the hardcore violent stuff. Uh, I know there's a documentary out called uh, "Please Don't Die, Joey Janela," or I think it's in some phrase of like that. And I remember, and I don't remember who it was or where it was at, but. Joey and this opponent were on the top of a roof, and well, they, yeah. there was some, I don't know, it was a Death Valley driver or what the hell it was, off the roof into the bed of a pickup truck that had, like, sheets of glass and light tubes and whatnot. And I thought, holy shit, is anybody ever going to say no? When it comes to these guys doing these things, I mean, you you know hardcore stuff really well. I mean, it, does anyone ever speak up and go, "Hey, guys, this is a little ludicrous"? That was actually that was actually early day GCW. I think it was actually like one of the uh, the tournament of survival. I think it was like one or two over in uh, Hal, New Jersey, on there. It was actually uh, Janella and uh, Zandig. Actually, Zandig, they, they, yeah. 
They redid the uh, the uh, Nick Mondo spot from Tournament of Death too, actually. Yeah. Um, and they yeah, literally what it was was actually uh, a pickup truck with a bunch of light tubes and uh, uh, glass, and they actually I think they lit the glass on fire on her. Now Joey actually yeah, split his uh, Joey split his uh, thumb, I think, like almost like in half. I think yeah, I don't know, I don't know if he had nerve damage or anything like that, but uh, yeah, he actually was pretty uh, pretty messed up from the spot on there. Surprisingly, it was only a thumb injury, let alone anything else. I, I just, I, guys, I, I guess I'm just to the point where I don't get it. You know, like I, I thought ECW was as far as I wanted to see, and that's about as far as I, I felt comfortable. But this other stuff now, and both of you chime in on this. Is there something, and again, I'm going to be getting this horribly wrong, but just try to follow me. Do they go out to some cornfield or a farm or somewhere in the middle of godforsaken nowhere where for like a day everyone just tries to not die? Like, I'm not really sure if I'm describing it correctly. I don't know if it still happens. So fill me in on this because I saw some YouTube stuff and I'm literally thinking they are so far away from a hospital. If anything were to go wrong, it's they're done. That's Call the corner. It's, it's basically a tournament of death for uh, CCW back in the day. Um, they actually would go to uh, DJ Hyde's uh, parents' house in uh, um, uh, Delaware, actually, which is basically the uh, fields that you would see on there, which is it's basically his parents' backyard uh, on there. Actually, that's, that's where uh, Nick Gage actually legitimately died for eight minutes, where he had to be hellevacked out of the uh, out of the cornfield to a hospital and stuff like that. He was seen... TV's got some documentaries on that on that deathmatch wrestling on there, but nowadays, basically, deathmatch wrestling, no matter where you go, you no, know, no matter what company you support that does it, it's basically a one-up ship, you know, one-up, um, one-up ships now on there. It's who can, you know, who can get more violent than anyone else. More, you know, it's H two O is kind of more tame. You know, there's times where you know where uh, Tremont will actually say no to a bunch of different things. You know, that, that may go on in a match. You know, not even his match. It's just the promotion in general and stuff like that. Where he's like, yeah, you guys aren't doing that. You know, stuff like that. You know, Jim, Jim can attest to, you know, what, you know, how Tremont is too on top of that with a lot of different things that he, you know, that he would say no to on there. Yeah, it, 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 it's basically just, you know, who can be more violent nowadays. That's literally what, what Deathmatch, you know, Deathmatch Wrestling actually has come to. You know, if it's in the United States, Japan, Mexico, wherever. But at what point? Like, let's be honest, boys. Where does it get to? Like, listen, someone's gonna die tonight. <laughs> there is somebody probably going to die. Let's okay. I'm not opposed to violent wrestling or anything else. I grew up playing hockey. I boxed for a bunch of years. Worked as a bouncer, so I'm not opposed to. But Jesus, like you know, what was the guy in CZW took a weed whacker to somebody one time? Like, well, that's happened numerous times now. <laughs> well, that's okay. a regular, regular spot sometimes. But, but I'm just thinking a <laughs> weed whacker to the that's, chest, that's sweet re- baby Jesus. That's uh, that's, that's replaced the lockup in a in matches. <laughs> <laughs> Is that where we've gone? That's a hope spot now, actually, Jim. (laughs) Goodness, like I couldn't fathom somebody taking a weed whacker to me. I just just couldn't. Here's where I think a lot of people who 
who maybe have been associated with me um, after ECW say, are you crazy? You came from ECW. Um, as a person that ran a building and rented it out to other companies, I would say I said absolutely not to glass or or um, tube or light tubes. Right. And they were like, well, you came from ECW. Oh, you're hardcore. All that stuff. And I said, yeah, but now I'm the guy who runs the business. And this is my ring. And this is my building. And there are things that get done in this building, like kids' birthday parties in the ring. And God forbid we don't clean up well enough yep. that a little kid gets in there and gets, you know, a light tube in the, in the wrist or in the eye yep. or something. Yep. Then I'm liable for it. And that's what a lot of, I think, it might be different now, but I think a lot of promoters, when they started pushing these, um, deathmatch shows where it's not just one deathmatch everything was a deathmatch and everything you know we're going to top each other after the second match and top the third match and you know keep keep building that pyramid till somebody does fall off and die um and they would if, if someone else got hurt along the way a fan or like i said if a kid were to get hurt they they have no responsibility to take for it um, it's, you know, me who owns the ring or owns the building or pe the person that they, that the, the Sue E, the sewer, I guess it is, um, thinks that I have money <laughs> and they come after me and they don't go after, uh, the promoter who's moved on to the next town. So I, you know, I, I, I drew the line real, real fast and real loud and real deep, uh, when it came to protecting, my building and, and my business. I couldn't fathom how an organization could get insurance to put off well, they lie. A, like a death match. Or they don't get insurance. Okay, fair enough. That's easy enough. Then. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next question. Well, welcome to the independent wrestling circle. Wow. Because wow. especially um, like for in the States... Like if you guys get hurt, you gotta pay out of pocket to Absolutely. go to doctors and hospitals and stuff. I'm, I'm oh, sure that hey. there are promoters out there that run um, family friendly shows that that don't have insurance because they don't think anybody's gonna get hurt. Um, and whether you know it's a death match or you know uh, a haha -ha match, um, you know there's still the chance that somebody could get hurt, and if that if that building doesn't request in, uh, insurance, then that that's on the building too. But when, it, when I ran buildings that weren't my own, I had, you know, or I, even my own building, I had insurance. I had to show that to the landlord. Um, but you know, if I rented a building, they wanted insurance. And sometimes you used to be able to, I don't, I don't think anybody does it anymore. You used to be able to get a rider, um, to attach to the building's insurance, so it wouldn't cost you quite as much. Um, but yeah, I I haven't promoted a show in a long time, and I haven't looked into it for a good reason. <laughs> I don't want the headache. Because I just see this. This is how the phone call goes. You know, you pick up your phone. No, hello, Jake from State Firm. Hi, it's Jim Molino. I'd like to run a wrestling event. Yep, there's going to be late tubes and. And glass and 
Yeah, we're gonna have bar bar and death matches. Uh, yeah, Jim. Um, bye. Click. Yeah. Like, I, I just don't know. Call Liberty. Yeah, like I don't even know <laughs> how you would even call the insurance company for that. Like I, you know, we're we're having a, a they're, sporting they're, event. They're, they're gonna on, ask they're, questions and. Well, they're online companies that sell uh, event insurance, and you can set it up where you don't talk to anyone um you can you can lie about your show not only you know what's going to happen and where it's going to be and how many people are going to be there and how big the facility is or whatever information that that you need that you can you can change as you as you punch in the information you can see the price change and you know say well there's going to be 200 people there and it's going to cost me Five hundred dollars more than I thought it was. Well, nope. There's only going to be a hundred people there, so now it's only going to be two hundred dollars more than I thought it was going to be. It's it's very interesting, um, Nick. Let me go back to you with this one here. When it comes to okay, maybe I should phrase this question differently. Why do you think the the ultra violent stuff has become very popular, or has been popular and has a long long uh, you know reign here in in the world of wrestling? I, I, I think it was everybody's like bloodthirsty. You know, everybody likes you know violence for the sake of violence nowadays. You know, it's almost like the way society is. <laughs> it's kind of really it's it sums up everything. You know, on there, it's, like I said, I'm like it's a game of uh, one-upsmanship on there with every with everybody on there. It's just just fans are bloodthirsty now. I'm like they're a lot more uh, desensitized. Yeah, um, to a lot of things. You know, especially what we know. You know, it was cool back in the day when you saw light tubes for the first time. Well, light tubes turn into a bundle of light tubes to turn into a bundle of light tubes that are on fire to turn into log cabin light tubes to, you know, so on and so on. You know, it's, you know, the more popular one nowadays I see is like nowhere barbed wire 200 light tubes now. You know, you know I've done a couple of them myself. They're not fun. They suck. But it's it's the nature of the beast nowadays. It's you know it's you know it's insane. I'm like now you're seeing people are trying to mimic what Onita did in FMW back in the day yeah. with the uh, the C4 explosives, you know, and stuff like that. You can only get them right to a certain point, you know, on there. But people are doing them. It's insane. Tony, so if your Tony Khan you're with Nick. Needs... Tony Khan tried to do it. Exactly. <laughs> if they need tips on how right. to do that. There there goes Nick. Tony we have to guy. referee next week too. Fantastic. Burn, burn that bridge. The 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 sparkler death match right there. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we we've talked about some. <laughs> I just thought of a funny story about sparklers, but go ahead. Oh no 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 no! no, no. You've opened you've opened up a Pandora's <laughs> box there, Jim. Yeah yeah. <laughs> um. Right after 9-11 happened and ECW had shut down. What am I doing here? Um, You're full screen now, my friend. Oh. Uh, look at technology. Yeah, that, oh, that, was, that was just me. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Steven DeAngelis, the ring announcer, one of, one of the ring announcers from ECW, ran a couple of shows in Alaska. And they're around Halloween. <laughs> and he brought in a couple of um, um, smaller people. <laughs> so we can't say that. Right. Well, okay, you can use little it. people, Michael. Little people. Yep, you're buried too. <laughs> and, <laughs> and 
So the the idea was they were to come dressed as their favorite wrestler for the match. Okay. So um, we had uh, little Louie who came out as uh, little, little Spike Dudley. <laughs> he wore the Spike Dudley stuff. Okay. Right? The, 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 the uh, overalls and the shorts and the, the tie-dye shirt. And the other one, and I, I can't remember which one it was, but it was one of the guys who was with Lawler in the in the doink against doink. Oh, I know you're talking about stink, wink, and pink or something. Yeah. So yeah, something like that. But it was one of those guys. And they got him a a um Kane costume. He was gonna come he was gonna be little Kane. <laughs> so, so his entrance, he did the Kane entrance, right? They played yes. they played the music. And he, he he did you know with his hands, and we go went we went like that instead of these big balls of fire. <laughs> Two guys are behind the stage waving sparklers. That's awesome. <laughs> that is tremendous. But then the match gets even funnier. Um, Dawn Marie was the referee, was the guest referee, and um, of course you know they did all the the spots that they would do with. With not only with a referee but with a female, right? Uh, <laughs> but um, little Kane was it was a full size Halloween mask that went over his head, okay, and it kept moving around on him. So, oh, <laughs> so you know, like you couldn't see <laughs> half, half the match. So the, the second night, he used the the little little Lawler gimmick. Wow! But the spark, the spark. Whenever I think of sparklers, I, I think of that story. Wow! <laughs> wow. And, uh, and Steve did did videotape the matches, but uh, he he swore he would never sell them, put them out. <laughs> I wish he would just just to see that one match. <laughs> so you still in touch with Steve? You couldn't possibly get a bootleg copy of this, Jim. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I'll have to pay in Canadian money, so it's not really a lot. But so we've talked about some things that have been crazy as far as just weapons and, and whatnot. Um, and we we obviously talked about an injury here, Nick. Let me ask you this: um, What do you do in in your opinion? I mean, is there a protocol as far as when an injury happens? Um, how far do you allow them if they say I want to keep going and you know that this is not a good idea? What what is your judgment call based upon your experience? Uh, that's kind of almost like who you're who you're working with almost to a certain point, you know, on there because there's some guys that just want to finish the match. You know, I'll usually even tell people it's like, yeah, just do a shoot roll up, you know, count to three, boom, and get to the back. You know, somebody's like busted open or something like that. There was an instance back in the day in the CCW, I think it was like 2010 or something like that, 2011, when I was actually doing a match with uh, Drake Younger and B-Boy um, on there. Um, the ring posts on in CCW were actually square and not round like you see on the, like you see on WWE TV and stuff like that. Um, B-Boy actually got posted. Um, I don't think I don't think he got his hand up in time. Uh, smacked his head into the side of the uh, ring post. Actually, right right around the side here, cut his head open, you know, hard way, you know, as they call it. You know, so it, he was basically just, this whole side of his face was just, was just red on there. 
And, you know, me and Drake were communicating. I'm like, oh, you, you know, you guys want to, you know, shoot at home. He's like, no, no, let's just keep going. Let's keep going. Um, the match ended up going, you know, long story short, the match ended up going about 27 minutes um, on there. Uh, he got busted open about in the first four. Um, he, he eventually started to clot, you know, thank God. You know, he was, you know, we, you know, in mid-match, I'm like, you see me actually try to get a towel in his face, you know, and also... Uh, you know, we're getting water on his face to you know wipe the blood out of you know out of his eyes so he can actually finish the match. Um, you know, backstage thing on there. Uh, apparently, I got heat from the uh, from the Booker actually because I you know I was actually wiping the blood off of it and he was actually pissed off that I was actually um, killing that visual for him on the uh, on the DVD. You know, God forbid I actually put somebody's health. You know. In my hands, you know, and, and you're worried about a shot. Yeah, screw that. No, I agree with you. That's that's crazy. Um, Jim, I mean, obviously, you know, the one thing I can say about ECW is I feel like a lot of guys speaking and getting to know Mikey and Jerry, uh, a lot of people poured their heart and soul out and, and they gave it everything they got. Um, there was no, hey, I have a calf strain or I have this or that. Uh, Mikey and Jerry w- would tell us there were days where they couldn't get out of bed. Like Mikey even said, right. he goes, I-, I could not physically stand up, but I knew later on I was going to have to to get beat up again. He was, he said, I'm the beat up guy. And I've seen some of his stuff and he portrayed that very, very well. I mean, he looked like he got the, the snot beat out of him. Um, Unfortunately, he still does. And not, <laughs> not on purpose either. This is true. Um, did you ever feel like a situation that happened and the wrestler, the talent couldn't tell you, you know, cognitively what's going on, but like, like Sandman, for example, you know, he had mentioned that he'd been unconscious and knocked out. Mm-hmm. Um, Mick Foley had mentioned that he had been knocked out many times in matches before. Do you just know that that's just kind of the way they work? If that even makes any sense and that you um, just have to be super vigilant over them when they're in that state of mind. Yeah, you, you you have to know the guy and and try to keep getting you know comprehensive answers from questions that you would be answering. And they they would actually answer the questions properly, you know, you know where you are. You know, you know what day it is. You know who you're you're wrestling, things like that. Um, and they would know it, so that that made it tougher to to figure out. But you know, you could see like the the glaze in their eyes, or or something like that, where you tell the other guy, "Hey, he's he's not here. Let's let's think about maybe taking it home." Um, New Jack was one to never say, "I've had enough." And there were times where blood was squirting out of his head like a money python movie um <laughs> and and you know you'd say come on jack they they've seen enough you know and you know, no keep going keep going keep going um and you'd have to appeal to the maybe the other side whether it was the dudleys or whoever they were they were feuding with to say hey he's squirting out blood like a fountain out of his head we got to stop we got to take him in the back and get him some help and it, it's not stopping. It hasn't stopped for, you know, five minutes. So, you know, you have to find someone who's got some some sense 
of of humanity in in this in the match um, to to put a stop to it somehow, and and we we eventually go home, but and never really any serious thing. Even look at um, the um, Bueller McGillicuddy match against Bill Alfonso and how how bloody Bill got. Uh, God bless him, Fonzie. He's, he's still with us because he, he almost, I would I would guess he almost bled out in that match. God, uh, it, it's an incredible thing to see. Um, but and he was another one who said, "Well, keep going, keep going, keep going." And you'd have to talk to Finnegan about that. He did. I'm, I'm pretty sure he did the match. Um, I know I didn't, and I'm sure. And John taught me, so I, I know from John that he would have been asking, "Are you okay? Do you want to keep going? Should we stop this?" And and Fonzie was enough of a veteran to to know, you know, what his limits are, but he also knew what what the promoter wanted. <laughs> so it, it's it's in the the wrestler's head to to balance out what what needs to be done or how far you can go. Like for the matches where somebody's gonna bleed, is there, like is there anything to like Tylenol, like a aspirin, or or maybe a couple adult beverages to thin out your blood to get a little yeah. more color, or is it just yeah. it is what no, it is? No, that some people do rely on that. Some people just can't get it. Uh, there was one match where, where Tommy Dreamer ju- against Mick Foley where he would just not bleed, and they wanted color. And Mick was trying to hard way him. Mick almost broke his knuckles. He was so hard in the head and just couldn't get any anything, any flow. Um, and and I, I'm pretty sure Tommy had taken a few extra aspirin that, that night. Um, but, yeah, they, you know, people people do that if necessary. Nick, let me throw this out at you. Um, obviously, you know, working all different kinds of matches, brutal ones, violent ones. When things spill over into the audience, is there a level of, oh, my God, here we go? Just because there's some degree of anything can happen, right? Or worrying about maybe fans getting a little too excited um is there ever a concern at that point in time let's say it's a show there might not be a ton of security or whatnot let's say you you have to follow the guys and make sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to do but when it comes at is there a certain level of trepidation when when your match spills out into the the audience yeah you know especially you know you got to look at to see what kind of people you have in the audience you know god forbid if you have any uh you know, um, any uh, any kind of handicap people or anything like that. You know, they're usually up front and stuff like that. Um, you know, you know, I I might you know you know talk to some of the guys and girls if they're doing you know doing any kind of hardcore match of you know whatever. You know, you guys are spilling to the outside. You know, keep it to the uh, you know keep it to the right around the ring apron. You know, and stuff like that, just so you're not getting in the crowd. It was you know some of the shows nowadays. You know, they don't have any guardrails. You know, unless it's yeah. Unless it's mandated by the, you know, by athletic commission, especially up in your, uh, up in New York City and stuff like that, they they still mandate, you know, guardrails no matter what, um, on there. But yeah, you got you got you got to watch your surroundings, you know, stuff like that. You, you, even besides that, too, on top of it, I mean, you still gotta you still got floor cameras you got to worry about too, you know, when you're around there too. Some of the some of the companies might have like one, two, or three floor cams, you know, roaming around, and you know, you got your photographers too on top of that. You know, so we, you got a lot of people on top of you, but 
most fans, you know, I learn use that term very loosely nowadays. Uh, they know they know to actually, uh, you know, to get away from the uh, get away from the action, so to speak. You know, on there, not all the fans do, but you know, most of them now. I'm going to throw this out here since we're talking about crazy stuff that's happened in the ring. Jim, walk me through this situation. Uh, <laughs> you always have to come to me first with this. I know. <laughs> it's a dream It's a dream come true. You have no idea. Um, it's, a, it's a living nightmare. I was about to say, I'm giving you PTSD, but I'm like, this is fantastic. Um, <laughs> scaffold match, you know where I'm going with <laughs> <laughs> He's got a twitch from it. Scaffold match. We got your good buddy, New Jack, and we got good old Vic Grimes. Um, this is going to kind of pour a portray or portray itself into our, our next segment here. So be ready, Nick, for this one. Uh, what do you do when, when two people just really don't get along and you got a feeling in the back of your mind, shit's going sideways. They say they're going to do this or that, and they're told to do this. But tempers flare, and somebody does something that was not supposed to happen. Um, have you ever been into a situation where literally, okay, this is not anything whatsoever. Th- this is this is real. Like someone is intentionally trying to hurt someone. Um, I, I don't think I really have. Um, you you mentioned the the New Jack Vic Grimes incident with with ECW. Um, I don't think that was an intentional thing. I think Vic got up there and was like, oh, I don't know about this. Uh, I don't think he had any intention of hurting New Jack or anything like that. And New Jack may have it may have had a different answer for for you for after the match um, than than that in the thought process. Uh, obviously, if you, you saw you know what happened at XPW with them between them, um, but yeah, I don't I don't think there was ever that kind of situation in ecw if there was it was maybe a few stiff receipts here and there otherwise no nothing too crazy where it got personal and yeah no i th- i think if anything personal did happen it would have been um in the locker room or at the hotel or anything like that after the match not not during well, during the hotel is going to be another good topic. Uh, that we're going to get into. I, I was never there. Well, I've, I've heard things, and, and you, you could just give me a wink of an eye or something if I'm somewhat even close. But there has uh, the travel lodge. Uh, wow. Uh, that sounds pretty insane. Oh, oh, hey, you know what? Those who know, know. Those who don't, will never know. Um, Nick, let me ask you this question. Anything ever go from professional to personal to the point where you realize they're throwing live rounds here and somebody pissed somebody off. Uh, it's even what Jim said. I'm like, it's more really just stiff. You know, somebody it's not really even just a, you know, somebody stiffing somebody or anything like that. You know, sometimes it's done by accident, you know, on there. Then, you know, that person might get pissed off in the middle of the ring you know, I can usually see him like, hey, you know, I might whisper over to him like, hey, please, you know, hey, calm down. I'm like, we only got, you know, we only got seven more minutes of this, you know, just be professional with it. I'm like, I've seen people swing light, t- light tubes ungodly too hard and bust somebody open, you know, and stuff like that, which is, you know, it's an art, surprisingly, um, to it. You know, there's an art that's swinging light tubes, you know, on there. It's not like a regular, you know. It's not like a you know a rock chair shot from like to Mick Foley like in '99, you know something like that. It's not how you 
swing a tube or anything like that, you know, it's, you know, but yeah, there's times where, you know, people, you know, they might just shoot upon it and only be like, you know, a minute or two and they calm down and now they'll discuss their, you know, frustrations in the back, you know, hey, go to the, you know, guys go outside or something like that, calm down, you know, luckily nothing, you know, nobody really shooting on anybody too much, surprisingly. I believe the story goes, um, and I'm not sure. I, I guess this was, I don't know if this was in WWE or where this was, but X-Pac uh, actually got a pretty nasty injury. Um, I don't know if it was a sphincter or something had happened. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he, he got he got hurt. So who can who can catch me up on that story, Nick? Nick, so it sounds like you know a little bit more about it. So what happened? Because that sounds like a god-awful injury. I think he actually it was on an indie show, I think, um, after the fact. He was actually doing his Bronco Buster uh, into somebody in the corner, and I think they actually moved out of the way, uh, and I think he actually ruptured something, you know, um, you know, uh, rectally, so to speak. Jesus. You know, I, damn, assholes wrecked him, damn near killed him. Yeah, and so I, yeah, be, being lo- being lo- uh, <laughs> loosely as you know as possible with the description on there. Yeah, I'm like it's and and. Literally, I think he's realized. I'm like, because I think he was wearing his, uh, you know, his green and white tights. He used to, you know, a little singlet he used to wear back in the day. Yes. And I think the white turned red, you know, on there. So obviously, he knew there was something wrong. <laughs> but yeah, it was actually uh, maybe maybe ten years ago, so to speak. Maybe maybe, maybe a little maybe, less. Maybe even longer than that. I yeah, it might even be a little longer. Yeah, who knows? You're, you're right. I think it was on the Indies. Yeah, it was in the in the, uh, in the event. I think somewhere in Minnesota, maybe. I remember Jerry telling me a story. Um, I forget who he was traveling with, but um, he says, I got a good Bastion Booger story for you. So, <laughs> And I said, I, I never thought I would ever hear someone say, I got a good Mike Shaw story for you. But evidently, Mike Shaw, I guess, after the Bastion Booger stuff was over, he ran some shows and he ran them in some... Very unique-looking buildings. It could be considered a house or something to that nature. I, I um, think I've heard these. Where it was, uh, let's get in, let's get out, let's get the hell out of here because this seems a little on the on the sketchy side. Um, have you guys ever been wanting to be booked or you've been asked to be booked and you said, hey, I tell you what, let me uh, let me check my, uh, my calendar, and then you hang up and you go, <laughs> what in the hell is this? Or maybe you took the booking. And you get there and you go, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? Let's go with Nick on this one. There was actually one time, uh, Maven Bentley, who was the uh, promoter uh, for CCW, they actually used his uh, insurance for the state of Pennsylvania for the athletic commission so they could run shows. Uh, He used to do something called the NBA, which is the Maven Bentley Association, kind of like what the uh, student shows basically um, on there. You know, I was still coming up, you know, through the ranks. I was doing ring announcer back in the day um, on there. Uh, we actually did a show in a church um, somewhere in, I think, like West Philly or something like that. Wow. Didn't even, like, all I knew was like, oh, hey, we're going to be doing, you know, we're doing a show here. And I got the address and I literally pulled up to a church. I'm like... It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't a death match show or anything like that. Just a regular student show. So I'm like, they did like maybe like seven, eight matches or something like that. But yeah, that was uh, quite unique. Besides all the farmlands that we've all been on, and you know, and 
God only knows, you know, what, what other you know type of shows I'm like that we've been on, like the middle of nowhere, like Jim Thor PA or something like that. You know, the god awful areas up there. <laughs> Jim can attest to that. Yeah. Jim, when when have you ever had these? Uh, I guess we can call it buyer's remorse or booking <laughs> remorse. What? Give me a good booking remorse story. Well, I, I don't think any of the buildings ECW ran were really booking remorse. Maybe you'd have to ask the fans about that. Maybe <laughs> um, there were a couple where we're, we're changing in uh, the, the hallway or, or something like that. There's no real locker room. Um, but Nick mentioned Jim Thorpe. The place that um, ECW used to run in Jim Thorpe was up on top of the mountain. And I I'm, I can't remember the name of the, the place, but it was it was like a, a big, huge like cowboy bar where, you know, they're they're doing, you know, two stepping all night they're big enough for them to, you know, have a big dance for or, you know, enough for a, like a concert hall that they could have bands up there and, and have people stand around and throw beer at the band. Um, and <laughs> what we used as the locker room was the outdoor patio that that wrapped around the building where you know you if it's a restaurant set up as a restaurant they got tables out there and you can eat out there and look out into the into the gorge or, and if you decide to look over the railing uh you can see the bottom of the gorge um <laughs> but the, and this, so, so the deck was was not on had no land under it except you know the land that was about a thousand feet down. Oh my god! Oh no! And there were a lot of boards missing, and <laughs> there were there were some big people in ECW back in the this, some of the day, you know. And you could hear you know you could walk on it and hear it creaking, <laughs> you know, like the hell we're gonna die out here, we're gonna fall through. Um, but it still was a great building, though. Well, now you just triggered something here. Um, this is called the Mikey Whipwreck going down the Iron uh, Mike Sharp route. Um, <laughs> Mikey somehow has he has OCD, and if if something triggers a memory, he'll be up all night because that leads to this memory, which leads to this. But let me ask you this: Who were the two big dudes? They were a tag team. Uh, I don't know if they were Samoan or what they were. Um, in the Headhunters. The Headhunters. A and B. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, short-lived. I guess with an ECW, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Because they were they came up with um, some of the guys from Puerto Rico. Okay, came. We had a group of of guys um, come in from Puerto Rico, and then they this. I think they went and worked for um, WWE for a while, and then went back to Puerto Rico. But yeah, they they did work for Carlos. Yes. Okay, so it just it just reminded me of that when you said there's some big people, and I thought, oh my god, wow! I mean, because at one time I think he's even slimmed down a lot. Um, Roadkill was was a big guy at mm -hmm. one point, and I think he's actually um, he's lost some weight, but uh, but yeah, there, ECW had a, a fine crew of of all different people. I mean, if you couldn't find someone that you connected with in ECW, then that's pretty sad because they had everybody. They had technical matches as well. I mean, they had the Luchadors. They were way ahead. And WCW and WWE, to be very honest, ripped off just about everything that they had done. And I think that they don't get enough credit. So with with asking you this, Jim, with, with WrestleMania being in Philly, 
Do you feel like in the history of wrestling, ECW gets glossed over to the point where they need to have more representation in that Hall of Famer, or is that just WWE's way of selling tickets and, and whatever? Well, people are going to probably rip me for this, but no, I think I don't think they they um, don't get too much coverage. I, I think they get enough coverage. Um, it's you know over twenty years ago. And and most of the wrestling fans, most of the WWE fans, weren't watching wrestling twenty years ago. Um, that's not their their market. It's it's young. It, it's kids. It, you know that the t shirts and the doll or action figures. Sorry, um, you know all that. Uh, yeah, I, and I I don't think they remember it. Any, even if you were young enough or old enough to know what ECW was, you were probably sneaking down um, into the den in the middle of the night at two o'clock yes. in the morning to, to catch ECW because your mom and dad wouldn't let you watch it. Amen. So, yeah, I, I think it gets plenty of coverage. We'll, we'll see what happens. WrestleMania weekend. Um, everybody's clamoring for someone to get into the hall of fame that weekend. Yeah. They don't always do what you think they're going to do or, or should do. This is true. Somebody has to get into the Hall of Fame that weekend. Don't they? One of the problems, well, if you look at the whoever you want to elect for, for ECW, um, for a Hall of Fame, for the Hall of Fame, um, there, there's one name that always comes up. Any other names that you would think of are uh, working for other companies behind yep. the scenes um, or, or no longer with us, which um, they tend to try to shy away from as much as possible because how many you know wrestlers can you have that are no longer with us uh, every time they do it? They want to hear you know they want the fans to hear from the, the wrestler themselves. Um, you know, and and then probably there are some people that they don't want to have a live microphone in front of them at all. Hall of Fame, <laughs> probably true as well, <laughs> because they they you know look at how many guys that were ECW that actually wrestled uh, a long career or, or a notable career in the WWE. There, were, there weren't that many. I, I guess if I were to try to name some of the people that I think would, and I'll, you you can give me a thumbs up or thumbs down if I'm wrong on this. Um, Todd Gordon, most likely not. Um, if, if stepping into the mind of the WWE, no. Okay, then the only only other thing I can think of right now would be Paul Heyman. Right. Um, the. Honestly, the, the first name comes to my my mind, um, and unfortunately, I don't think they'll they'll do it because he's not with us. Is is Bam Bam Bigelow? Oh, good call on that one. I never thought about that. Yes, Bammer had a huge career with with ECW and Japan and WCW and WWF. He was he was there what three times? Yeah, with with the WWE. Um, so. You know, he's he's the first person I always think of when it comes to who from ECW is not in the Hall of Fame and, and should be. So obviously, working for another company right now is is 
kind of a de facto, you're not going to be getting in. Um, but I think a lot of people, let's say he was retired and he wasn't doing anything. Uh, Tommy, I mean, Tommy's, Tommy's a guy who you would, you would assume would be right um, through and yeah, through. Absolutely. If he, if he wasn't working for another company, Tommy Chandler would be on the top of the list. Um, cause he was a good soldier for WWE, not yeah. only in the ring, but behind the scenes too. Super nice guy too. Met him a couple times. He comes yeah. up here. He's pretty tight with the promoter here. Tommy's fantastic guy. Um, let me ask you this, Nick, when it comes to, we talked about crazy things happening in the ring and, and wrestlers getting injured and, you know, referees for the most part, understanding what's going to be happening. And, and you guys have such a tremendous role in the match. And, and it's, it's interesting because a lot of people don't really think about that, but you guys are the eyes and ears and you're making sure things go the way they should go. Um, have you yourself ever gotten hurt? And if you have, would you feel comfortable sharing, you know, hey, I was doing this or this happened and it was an accident? You know, when did you get hurt? And, and can you tell me a little bit how that might have happened? It was actually 2007 was actually my first deathmatch tournament ex it, itself. And, uh, you know, dumbass me, I never wore knee pads underneath my pants uh, or anything like that. And now, so I'm working, you know, just a regular glass match, you know, just going down for a regular count. You know, I feel you know, I feel my left, you know, left leg getting warm for some reason. I'm like, I'm not even thinking anything of it. I, I get to the back, and I'm like, I probably about about maybe like a six inch hole in my knee, you know, ripped open. I'm like, oh, well, I guess I got some glass cut open on there. You know, that right then and there was every time you know I would wear knee pads. You know, obviously most most referees do. You know, I double up on my knee pads actually uh, underneath. Um, that was one. Uh, I, you know, my normal count, my counting hand, my, you know, my right arm, I would get normal, just regular cuts and bruises, you know, and stuff like that from like regular death matches. But nowadays, if I'm doing something with excessive glass, I'm like, I'm wearing long sleeves and gloves and stuff like that. So, you know, then I'm wearing, I'm wearing tape, you know, halfway up my arm too, on top of that, besides the gloves. So yeah, live and learn, <laughs> so wow. to speak. Yeah. You know, it's a, Mike, that's, you, you don't realize that. And then, you know, to a, you know, to a certain thing, I'm like, if it's a whole deathmatch show, you know, I'm not going out there only one time doing a deathmatch. I'm probably going out there, you know, yeah. three, four times. So, you know, that's where promoters will give us what they call uh, hazard pay, so to speak. You know, they might double up <laughs> on our pay. So, decent promoters will, at least. They'll double up on my pay. You know, I know what. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pour out on the two handshakes. Yeah. Um, I might get ketchup and mustard on it this time around, thank God. <laughs> you you know? only have to pay for the mustard. Yeah, um, exactly. Shit. <laughs> Jim, let me ask you this. I mean, any injuries? I mean, you know, being in wrestling, oh, it, yeah. it comes with the territory, right? You, you kind of understand that I'm in a line of work that is going to inherently at some point in time, whether it's an accident or whatever. So... Talk to me a little bit about some of the injuries you've acquired by being in the ring. And um, you ever get really pissed off when something happened and, and verbalized to the guys, uh, <laughs> you son of a bitch, blah, 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 blah. No, no, I, I verbalized it when I got back because I was mad at myself. Um, other than, you know, like Nick said, little barbed wire scars here and there and, and an actual a thumbtack into your planning hand. Uh, um 
you, you look for them when you, when you go to count, but you forget you have to put your hand down to hold yourself up. Um, the, the first one I can think of was I was supposed to get squashed in the, the turnbuckle corner. And um, they did it so fast that I didn't have time to put my hands down. And I went like this. And my wrist went like this. And about 6 o'clock the next morning, luckily the show was in Northeast Philly. And the next night was in Lancaster, PA. And uh, about 6 o'clock in the morning, I, I looked at my wrist and it was about four times the size it should be. And um, <laughs> woke my wife up and I said, I'm going to the emergency room. I'll, I'll see you in a little bit. And um, I, I luckily had just sprained it. <laughs> um, the, let's see. Rob Van Dam broke my nose. Um, supposed to be behind Balls Mahoney, and and he ducks a spin kick, and I get hit in the. I was supposed to get hit in the head, and but we I wasn't close enough, and he just clipped me right on the nose, and broke it, knocked me out, and I didn't realize that I was knocked out until I saw the show. Uh, on TV, I saw the match on TV a couple weeks later when I realized that they were spending more time waking me up on television than I can remember. Wow! Um, and because I got in the, I got, I woke up and finished the match and um, went in the back and I started talking to whoever was for the next match. And I, Chris Candida goes, "You're you're not seriously going to go back out there?" And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "No, you were unconscious. You broke your nose." I'm like, no, no, I can breathe. Look, there's no blood. No problem. I can breathe. <laughs> and they're like, no, you're not going back out there. And the next morning I woke up and I, I looked like Rocket Raccoon. Um, wow. But the, the one that really it took me out for quite a few weeks, uh, I did a partial ACL tear. And, and thank God it was only partial because I didn't have to have surgery. Um, but if, if you watch um, Heat Wave, I think it's 2000 from Los Angeles, uh, the main event is just incredible against Tommy dreamer. And they go into the crowd and I'm going to follow them. And I, I threw my legs up over the railing and I'm just about, I mean, you only have to drop down two feet <laughs> to hit the floor. And the cameraman comes up from behind and doesn't see me. And he, like his camera hits me in the head and knocked me off balance. And I went straight down onto the concrete floor knees first and that was what did the partial tear to my acl and and i i if you watch the match i'm like dragging my leg through the rest of the match that was when i got mad i was in the back throwing chairs i was so mad at myself or i, I was really mad at the cameraman um but wow. uh the stupid thing that i did with that because i had never heard of it before and didn't realize it until it happened to to Chris Candido and it, it was what killed him. I flew the next day and I probably shouldn't have because I could have had a blood clot in, in my leg and it, the same thing happened to Chris. Um, he had the blood clot went up into his heart and killed him. Uh, could have happened to me. And I, I took a flight from LA to Philadelphia the next day. Uh, very lucky that, that I'm here just from not, not knowing, not, not that I was, being stupid on purpose i just never heard of it didn't know anything about it nick let me ask you this question i'll continue i'll, I'll follow it up after that oh i'm just curious um shoulder injuries i would assume you guys have shoulder issues just from counts no 
No. So minor risk. It's more more of the risk than forearm than anything else. I'm like, you know, I you know, I haven't been doing it as long as Jim has, but I'm like, I won't be surprised if I have tendonitis in my shoulder. I, mean, yeah. I probably just don't know it. You know. But but yeah, it's more more your more your hand wrist forearm, depending on how you're counting. Yeah, with me it's my wrist. I, I tendonitis in my wrist. Is there anybody, and this is kind of an off-topic uh, question here, is there anybody right now, and I, I know we, we kind of touched upon this in our, our first episode, is there anybody out there right now who, if, if people are, are going to go get trained or whatnot, you would tell them to, to watch this person's work? I think we talked about it slightly, but who out there right now do you feel like? I know Bryce Rensberg came up, and that, that he does a really good job. Is there anybody else you really feel like, hey, you know what, study this person and watch what they do, or maybe – give them a call or whatnot. Uh, Nick, we'll start off with you. Anybody you think that, man, I really, I think the next generation of refs should really watch said person. You know, there's, you know, probably should, there's, you know, there's a bunch out there. I'm like, I, I kind of stay away from like a lot of the indie guys, you know, on there, you know, from, you know, you know, because a lot of the indie guys, you know, they get a lot of egos because I'm like, Oh, Hey, look at me. I was on TV. I've won, you know, but yeah. You've only been doing it a year and stuff like that. That's why I stay away from the indie guys. If you're if you're trying to look up to them, so to speak. Um, but if you're looking at like TV guys, I'm like, you know, you know, look at Mike Kyoto, you know, look at Charles Robinson, you, you know, look at you know, you know, John Cone. You know, John Cone still works for the company. You know, he's a behind the scenes guy, but you know, he used to be a referee and stuff like that. You know, they're probably the you know, you know, if you look on the modern day WWE. You know, you can look at, um, you know, Sean Bennett, you know, Matt Bennett, however you want to you know, refer to him as, you know, he's an old, old New Jersey guy, you know, on there to um, Jason Ayers, you know, an old uh, Ring of Honor, you know, Dragon Gate USA referee and stuff like that. Those are probably the best referees on TV. You know, Jessica Carr, you know, she's phenomenal, you know, on there. She puts a lot, you know, she puts a lot of the other female referees to shame, so to speak, without mentioning names. Who, who blocked me on Twitter, um, you know. <laughs> yeah, there, there's the shots fired on there. That's a future episode, um, you know, on there. So there, there's Tony Cobble banned me now, too, on top of that. So, um, but, yeah, that's, that's basically the referees, you, you know, you should look at. Jim, um, you, you've had a chance to work with a lot of good guys. Um, obviously, you know, working with yourself, you know, definitely watching tape and um, – what about our good buddy John Finnegan? I mean, I, you know what? I've heard nothing but good things about John. I don't think I've heard anyone say a bad thing about John Finnegan. Yeah, um, John, John's a, a great referee and an even better person. Uh, willing to sit down and talk to you and, and help you if you know if you're a you're you know a green guy just starting out, he'll sit down and talk to you and help you out. Um, great, you're great to work with. I, I think one of the differences that from what we see on a lot of wrestling today on television than than what even even what WWE and WCW or whoever at the time did um that John and I I think were the last ones to do we're, we're, we showed emotion uh, emotion react emotional reaction to what you know was going on I, I don't see that a lot on television anymore today and and not only did I get that from John because John actually trained me um but, you know, watching guys like Tommy Young, Tommy Young was incredible. It, if, if anybody wants to go back and watch old Ric Flair matches with Tommy Young, um, 
my God, all the all the Midnight Express, Rock and Roll Express matches that that Tommy worked. Um, you know, he really got involved and, and reacted at a proper level for every move that he was in the ring to witness. You know, you can't. It's not a straight line across to to react to the same thing. It, it's it's as as the move is more up and down. You know, the 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 bigger the bigger the move, the bigger the reaction. And I just, I, I just think re- a lot of referees are either too emotional. Um, they might get blocked there by the same person. Um, ah. <laughs> man, like I say, like I say, sometimes they, they look like they should be on the, the front lawn of the, of the local used tire store selling tires. advertising tires i love it either that or they stand in the corner and wait until oh i should get down there and count three um there there's there's no um cohesiveness between the referee and 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 the match the move and the fans There, there has to be that progression you know what the referee sees, the, the fans react to the same. Hopefully, react to the same way. If, if if I see something that, you know, like oh wow, or or disgust me, it, hopefully they're getting the same reaction. There were times I would <laughs> things would be so bloody that I'd act like they're almost throwing up because because that's of the blood, and and that's to help get you know the story, the 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 match over. And, um, you know, maybe maybe some people were disturbed by the, the blood that they saw. Well, maybe it was because of my reaction. I think in a big way, you know, when you would watch WWE and in WCW, you mentioned Tommy Young was definitely somebody that people became familiar with. And I, I guess the Hebners um, and then Mike Chioda later on. But when you really think about it, Joey Styles really always mentioned and kept your names in the conversation mm-hmm. in the matches would talk about it. You became just as known as the combatants in the ring. Let me ask you this. Um, well, this is another IDIF for another episode. I'll shoot you guys all these ideas. But um, when it comes to Joey, we'll, we'll briefly touch on Joey, how well he did with telling a story and, and being by himself uh, Jim, what was your thoughts on that when you would rewatch matches that you worked and just the way he would put words to music and, and really be the, the guy who was the uh, the soundtrack to the match? Yeah, I mean, he had to be not only the announcer, uh, the, the play-by-play guy, but he had to be the, the color guy, too. So he had to tell both sides of the story. And like you said, um, Joey made sure he mentioned us Myself, John, and whoever may have been the Mike, Mike uh, Keener or whoever, Pee Wee Moore, whoever the other referee may have been on, on the show that night, he made sure that our names were mentioned at least once in that hour. If it was a pay-per-view, it was more than that um, because we're part of the match. We're part, in, in a way, part of the st- story now I, I maybe i shouldn't say it that way but we're a part of the company and shouldn't be ignored and, and they're, they're saying it a little bit more than what they used to they used to just say the official um and i, I always felt that, that that was disrespectful 
I agree because because they they train they you know they they suffer too with with perfecting their craft and I I think you know referees need to be acknowledged as much as you know I, I shouldn't say as much as the wrestler because that's not that's not fair because we're not in the story we're not we're not part of the show or, or we're not part of what's being put over um, but I think. Tim White's great that he got in the, the Hall of Fame. There, there should they should make up for that. There, there should be more referees in the Hall of Fame. And I, I I'm not saying myself <laughs> at all. Um, but there, I, I always say the first referee. I always mentioned Tommy Young. Yeah. Tommy Young, even though he never worked for WWE, should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, the Hebners, I, I think they should, but I, I think there may be an issue. With, with the WWE, uh, I might I might be wrong there, but I, I wish they were in too. I, I wish they would put a referee in every year, or at least every other year. Um, they're they're an important part of where they are, where how they've gotten to where they are. No, I agree and, completely, and, and I think I think any wrestler will tell you that too. Nick, let me ask you this question: Do you feel as a ref you? Um as time goes on, you start to get kind of a following and people start to get to know you. And um, as far as your personality and your style, uh, it's, it's recognizable as far as what you do, what separates you from other people. Yeah. As far, you know, as far as the following, you know, you know, there's, there's fans that, you know, that know, you know, you know, know who we all are. And especially if you're staying in the same area a little bit, you know, doing a lot of the same shows, work with a lot of the same wrestlers, you know, and stuff like that. You know, they basically know who we are, you know, you know, to a certain extent. You know, a lot of days I see it, you know, now is just like, you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of the referees are trying to, you know, be, you know, be the focal point, you know, of, you know, of matches. I'm like that, that they're in. I'm like, well, you guys aren't the ones that sell tickets. You know, it's the wrestlers that sell tickets. Referees don't sell tickets. You know, like it's kind of a, kind of a lost thing. I'm like, you know, you want to be recognized and stuff like that, which I have no problem with, but you also got to, you know, you know, know your place in the ring and stuff like that, you know, stay out, you know, stay out of the limelight, so to speak, you know, you know, the best, you know, the best critique a referee gets is, you know, Hey, I don't even know you're even in the ring. You know, I've gotten that from Gabe Spikulski, you know, numerous times and stuff like that. You know, Hey, I don't even know you're even there. That's that, that's the, that's, Basically, the holy grail of like compliments that you could probably you know probably get you know as a ref. That's tremendous. Or a fan saying that you know a certain match and you know that you worked is their favorite match of all time, and they don't realize that you were the referee. Yeah, exactly. Guys, this has been so much fun. We have gone down yet another road. Um, so many interesting things, guys. If you're enjoying this podcast, continue. It's available basically anywhere podcasts are made available. Um, follow these guys as well. Great, great guys. Um, Jim, you kind of touched upon as we are closing here. Uh, you do have a booking, which is going to be at the end of December. So give us the details. Give us a rundown and how people can get tickets for the show. I wish I had it all with me. Um, SPOWrestling.com. I'm sure you can find out how to get tickets there. It's in Burlington City, New Jersey, December 31st, New Year's Eve, uh, 2.30 um bell time so you can see the matches and get home or get to the party or whatever you're doing for new year's eve uh in plenty of time uh 
the main event is for the SPO um, heavyweight champion, first champion will be it's Johnny Cashmere against Homicide. Uh, should be interesting. Should be a good match. And, and this is a promotion that wants to start start running on a regular basis. Uh, I think they some of the, the other matches they have lined up um, look really interesting, and they'll be announcing them as, as we move along, getting closer. Uh, and, and in fact, I think they they have announced some of the mat some more of the matches. But I, I, like I said, HC Loke is involved with the the promotion too. So we'll be seeing some guys from Excite out of New York uh, coming down and participating too. And then January start up with uh, ISPW. Um, for a couple of shows and and i know john and i are looking to do something together uh hopefully for for wrestlemania weekend um uh, a nice if, if someone's out there and wants to bring us in for a signing we'd, we'd be willing to listen to offers and promoting ourselves as the only two guys who were in ecw from day one to the last day that's a lot that's saying a lot yeah Guys, once again, that is SPO Pro Wrestling. You can go ahead and check them out at SPO Wrestling um, on the web. They are going to be at the Mitchell Fire Company. It's 300 East Federal Street, Burlington, New oh, Jersey. I, I had the website right. Yep, you did. 08016. <laughs> you can go ahead and get your tickets right now. Buy them online so you don't get left out in the cold. They run anywhere from $10 up to $25. It's going to be a great show. Again, it's going to be at uh, doors open at 2 p.m. It's for all ages. Show starts actually at 2.30 as well. Seven matches uh, have already been announced and once again, as he mentioned, for the SPO World Championship, Johnny Cashmere takes on Homicide. Once again, check that out. Go to their website and get your tickets now. It's going to be a great day, great event before you head out to enjoy the last few hours before we ring in 2024. All right, let's go ahead. And uh, Nick, what's going on with you? Any more dates coming up for the rest of the year? Where can people find you? Any interesting information going on with you? Uh, same thing, you know, Twitter, Twitter, Facebook, you know, it's all at uh, Ref Nick Papa G on there. Uh, you can catch me every Monday. We are going into episode six, I believe, of uh, Uncharted Territory on this Monday night uh, on uh, live on IWTV. You can catch that at 8 p.m. I uh, can also catch, uh, I got my calendar here, uh, December 9th, which is this Saturday, actually, uh, H2O Wrestling returns to uh IWTV for the uh, Fields of Death uh, show, which is actually a bunch of uh, uh, different hardcore and uh, deathmatch type uh, matches. I think there's like nine matches, um, give or take, on there. Um, but And then I believe on December 22nd is actually the uh, Intergender Bonanza. Um, Stan Styles actually runs uh, the promotion um, on there. They return to IWTV on uh, the December 22nd. You know, it's uh, 8 p.m. Uh, also, and then uh, our Christmas classic show for uh, H2O Wrestling, December 23rd, uh, also uh, 8 p.m. on uh, IWTV on there. But uh, it, the uh, Uncharted Territory, I believe, only has two more episodes left on the 11th and the finale on the season finale on the uh, 18th of December. You are 100% correct. You can go to independentwrestling.tv. The next two episodes, again, uh, as he said before, Monday, December the 11th at 8 p.m. Check it out. And then the season finale on Monday, December the 18th, again at 8 p.m. You can go to IWTV, uh, dot, 
IW Independent Wrestling TV, um, and check out all their libraries. There is so many things to catch here. Um, obviously, there is also uh, things you can purchase as well. So it is a plethora of options here. So many different events. We're so excited to uh, to have both of you guys being a part of this. We enjoy going down the road, hearing stories, and, and getting your thoughts on the wrestling world as it is today. Uh, last thing I'm going to mention, because uh, it's just a hot topic on my mind, uh, CM Punk situation. You think this is going to blow up and going to be a big, awesome thing, or do you think right now it's it's hot, but it'll fizzle out? We'll go to Jim first. Um. Yeah, I, I think it's going to fizzle out. I don't think it's going to be as interesting as a stay in AEW because I don't think uh, they they would allow WWE would allow them to even get close to goozling somebody against the wall um, like like they did in AEW. I don't I don't think uh, Triple H has to fear for his life. This I'm is true. Wait, word. I've never heard that word. Like block, block, <laughs> block. <laughs> Turn Nick. on. Nick, let me ask you a question. As far as this is concerned, uh, you agree with Jim? You think this is hot right now, but it'll slowly cool down? Or do you think, man, this is just a reassurance of the, uh, what do they call it, the second city saint? Uh, oh, no. I, I, I think it's, you know, it's going to be hot for the first, you know, first little bit, you know, until he gets his first match under his belt back and stuff like that. You know, most likely at the Rumble, I'd imagine, and stuff like that. But I think maybe past Mania. I think that's where it starts to fizzle out, depending on what he's doing and you know, stuff like that. It, you know, it's it, it, it's hard to keep, you know, fans happy nowadays. That's a sad part. You know, it's really what it is. I'm like, they do one thing wrong with it, with the whole thing. I'm like, that's the fans will lose interest and they lose they, their attention span is like a gnat nowadays. It's sad. It's very, very sad. It, but what isn't sad is having both you guys with us. It is I can tell you the highlight of my week, and uh, it's always fun to, to catch up with you guys. Hey, what about me? It's always fun to talk to you as well, Butster. You know that. Trying to recover, jackass. You, you look like you're in a monastery right now. I mean, look, look at that. You got the the drapes right there, and well, because I'm still not allowed to use the office. Linda has taken over our office. That's right. He's got he's got the old wine sack hanging on the wall back there. Yes, that's a that's a some kind of guitar thing. Jeez, oh, he's up in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you're in Saskatchewan, right? Yeah, hanging out my pet polar bear. That's right. Chewing on a dead elk's ass right now. That's right. That's what they do in Canada. Jim, yeah, Nick, still waiting on running water. We, oh God, we will let you go. <laughs> Great catching up with you guys. We'll catch you guys next week. All yeah, right. You got it, guys. Take care, guys. Later. Later, boys. All right. Front row referee. Another week. Another interesting thing here. Getting to find out more about the zebras. Man, it's so much fun. Um, I love hearing their stories, their insights. They give you a lot of things to think about. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that segment. Each and every week here on Front Row Material, you will be hearing that. Uh, obviously, we're going to try to be reaching out to John Finnegan as well. Love to get John on here, and uh, if you're a referee and you're listening to the show, you like to go ahead and be a part of the program, go ahead and reach out to me. Reach out to me at the Mike Freeland. I am on Twitter as well. DMs are always open. Um, where do we leave off on our conversation? I believe we had pretty much gone over everything about the CM Punk situation. We talked a little about Drew McIntyre and um, 
you know, his potential frustrations and also how CM Punk coming back could definitely interfere maybe with getting LA Knight pushed back. Um, we talked about Okada and WWE really wants Okada, but I do believe at the end of the day, Okada is going to come to AEW. I feel like there is a tremendous amount of respect and relationship between New Japan and AEW. Uh, Butster, what do you think? I mean, let, let's just say all things are equal. Where do you think Okada is going to go at this stage of his career where he's going to be uh, respected and shown the proper uh, respect, I guess, is, is the word that he deserves at this stage of his career? I think he'll end up in the AEW due to one day have a great working relationship, AEW and New Japan. And Kenny. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a lot of what it's going to boil down to is though mainly is Kenny, honestly. Yeah. Because they're going to, I would assume, they're going to do something to reignite that that rivalry. Absolutely. And hopefully have a phenomenal match or two or ten, whatever it would be, because they are capable of it. But the thing is, both of them know. They're getting towards the twilight of their main event careers. No no doubt. At this point. I'm not, I'm not saying they can't still wrestle. They can't go. That's not what I'm getting at. But they are both getting to the tail end. And they know yeah. that. And so I'm sure they want to have a one more program, one more big program, I should say, it's where you know, it's 83 stars. Uncle Dave thinks this cat's meow. All that good stuff. That is that's my assumption. No, I mean I, I agree with you. I think you're right. I think if I had to guess, I would say the reason why is because New Japan has a great relationship with AEW. Now I will say if I was New Japan, I would be saddened that I lost Jay White. I would be saddened I had lost Kenny and the Bucks and Hangman and Switchblade and now I am losing uh, Will Ospreay, and I've already lost Aussie Open. And, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you feel like, man, I've, I've lost this. But I also feel in the same regards, and tell me if you agree with this, that at any point in time, they could show up in New Japan and work a Wrestle Kingdom or work, uh, you know, a, a match, uh, a G1, because Tony says, yeah, head on back over, surprise, show up work another Wrestle Kingdom. Do you know what I mean? I feel like that door is very much open, and I think that's what makes it so appealing because even if you go to AEW, you're not really that far from home, and there's a lot of crossover, and you'd definitely be able to go back and do a lot of things you did before. And I feel like that's the freedom that guys have with AEW. What's your thoughts? Oh, they'd be foolish not to encourage some talent to go back to New Japan. Just to, to keep their, their relationship strong. Uh, Willow Nightingale, is she not still going back and forth between the two of them? She does a lot of New Japan Strong, which um, they do a lot of stuff. And the, the beauty of it is um, New Japan has a United States uh, extension, if you will. And so what they're doing with that is they're 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 working here in the States. So it only makes sense. You know, there's a New Japan Strong. It's here in the States, yet you can still work with AEW. AEW works with them. Um, 
I mean, my gosh, Eddie Kingston has the New Japan Strong Heavyweight Championship on AEW television, and they're not going to allow that to happen unless they have absolute confidence and trust in a relationship. Yeah, so I mean, that relationship is still strong. I like Will signing or or Jay White, Young Bucks, whoever it would be. Yeah, they're most of them are. Well, I guess half of them would be American. Ospreys from Britain. Mm-hmm. Jay's Australian. Correct. Am I right? So, but the the nucleus of the wrestling world is North America. Correct. More so America, just the way it is. Right. So I, I would doubt that New Japan has sour grapes towards talent signing in America, North America, whatever it would be. I, I doubt that's the case, especially if you're signing AEW because a lot of talent is not AEW exclusive. Correct. Maybe it has changed a little bit. It's I'm sure it's a contract-by-contract contract deal. But most of them are open to work in these or do the Comic-Con signings, whatever it would be. And and I'm sure a lot of them, New Japan put Will Osprey on the map. Absolutely, they did. Let's not kid ourselves here. New Japan really put Kenny on the map. Yes. So, even though they've left to go to AEW, their relationship's still strong. They're still loyal to them because if it wasn't for New Japan, they would be, I won't say irrelevant. That's a strong word, but significantly less. We probably wouldn't know them, you and I. There might still be no significance somewhere, but they definitely wouldn't be the superstars they are now. And, and and they know that. I mean, anybody knows that. I mean, they know who butters their bread. They, they know right. who gave them the start and built them up. I 100% agree with you. Right. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if there's some sort of deal. It's like, okay, yeah, you're signed with AEW. But you're still going to do a, a one-off here with us, or a one-off there, or uh, what it looks at like, a Wrestle Kingdom, a G1, or something like that. I'd be surprised if that's not the case. No, I agree completely, and I, I feel like I feel like Wrestle Kingdom's going to have a very big AEW influence this year. Um, Guaranteed. I just feel like it's it's going to be a big, big thing, and you know there was speculation on whether or not. Tony Khan would become a owner or a part owner of New Japan Pro Wrestling, um, or if he would try to, to purchase the the promotion altogether. I don't think that's a good idea. I think being an investor might be a really good idea, but I think being able to have people go back and forth, you know, send Hook over to Japan for a while to, to, for him to, to wrestle, you know, send other people over there. They can send other people back. And I love the comment that you made because you're so right. You know, they, they had so many great matches, meeting Kenny and uh, Kazuchika Okada and, you know, Will Ospreay and Kenny and Switchblade and Hangman and all of that stuff. I feel like they're having the opportunity to show what they can do to a North American crowd, which they've already shown to a Japanese crowd, which now all of a sudden what's old is new again because we get to see it now. Um, for those fans who are not people who – Subscribe to New Japan. Um, they're, they're New Japan Global, I believe it is. It's their streaming network that you can get for ten dollars. Um, I think that's. I think it's it's brand new. They're 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 changing things, and they're going to put a show here in the in the United States. And 
it's good for wrestling fans in general. But um, I will say this. I'm going to make an early prediction. It's nine months away. I think Will Ospreay is going to become AEW world champion. I think it's going to happen at all in. And I think that's a big reason why you bring Will Ospreay in. Will Ospreay is going to bring a lot of the UK fans to Wembley Stadium. Do you think that had anything to do with Will Ospreay coming in? What's your thoughts? I can see it. Um, sorry, Mike. I hope I don't get kicked off the show again. But um, Wembley's not going to be the gong show it was the next time around. They're not going to have 90,000 people or whatever it would be. Uh, I think they, they need some big draw, bigger draws for this one because the, the novelty is done. You did it this year. Now you got to up it. If you want to draw that to people again, you got to up the ante. I don't know how you up the ante. I mean, there's only so much you can really do. Um, I, I think it might have been a bit of a mistake. To go back to Wembley for AEW right now, back to back years, you can't expect to pull in that many people again. Well, I, I don't think you can. Anyhow. Maybe I'm wrong. No, I'm. I'm glad. I'm glad that you brought that up because there is. Um, so the first thing I will tell you is tickets have already gone on sale, and it's nine months before it actually is going to be happening. So that's the first thing they're they're selling the tickets way earlier. Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to build it up as much as humanly possible and give people enough time so they can look at the card. But there are some things that, yeah, they're going to be completely different. Um, you know, you know, you're not going to have the CM Punk. I mean, uh, and, and I don't know how much of a draw that necessarily was for AEW last year. Um, but I still think you're going to have some some really great matches. Now. At this time, at this point, when they had sold tickets, they had already sold about 49,000 tickets at this point when it came to uh, All In. Okay? So they had sold them at this point in time the last year. They are behind what they had sold it for, um, ticket sales already right now. So right now, they have already sold 36,000. Uh, 36,057 tickets have already been sold. That's still big. Yes, so here, here's the current situation here. They have it set up for 48,375 because they're going to be putting in, from what I've been reading, a monstrous stage. They're going to be making it more looking like a WrestleMania. Well, it's not a bad thing. So there's only 12,318 tickets available as of right now, and this so does not happen till August. They'll sell out. Well, let's be honest. They'll, at, they'll, at forty thousand, forty nine thousand, whatever. Correct, forty nine. They're going to sell that. Correct, they'll sell forty nine thousand tickets. Oh, for sure. And if they do a, a, you know, big monster stage where it takes up half the arena, basically. But it, it'll make it. It'll have a grander presentation. That is correct. The big grand stage. No, the entrance ramp coming in. How however to set up, I have, I have no idea. If you but, go, you know, on, but then if you pan through the crowd, yes, and it's full, it gives you the the illusion that it's well, it's grander than it is. It's, it's larger. larger. It's, it's a larger than deal. life. Yes. Yep. So right now, and, and I will say this as well. 
let's say things get super hot and you know they're like huh, you know what we're six months away now and we've already sold 50,000 tickets and there's a demand for more the, they would probably put more tickets on sale and cut down a little bit on the stage and the ramp. I guarantee if their demand was hot, I mean, wouldn't you do that? Butster, if you already hit your goal, Hey man, we want to sell 49 or 50,000 tickets, right? We're there, but man, we got six months to go and people are still wanting tickets. Do you just completely shut it off at that point and say, this is the stage. Everything else is sold. We're done. Or do you say maybe we can open some more sections up? Open up some more. I agree. Open up some more. More butts and seats, more gate revenue, more merchandise revenue, more beer sales, hot dog sales, Everything. parking lots, so on and so forth. You'd be a you'd be a bloody fool not to. Um, I just went ahead and tweeted at you, uh, just so you know uh, the wrestle ticks. Um, so right now Didn't they I are block you. Really? I'm just asking. Just a question. You don't got to be hostile. I'm just saying. I thought we were closer than that. No, not really. Thank you. I love you as well. Um, at, at the end of the day, I think it's going to be a big deal. I think it's going to be a good show. And, Butster, here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't think it's going to be just for 50,000 people. I think they're going to open it up to even more. Now, last year, I forget what they said the ticket sales were. I, I think I want to say it was like 80-something thousand and 70-some-odd thousand came through the turnstile, which is the, the, the biggest wrestling event of all time. Right now, they hold it. My thought is that this second year, they're looking, like you said earlier, they're going to look at something different. Maybe not necessarily the ticket sales record. We already accomplished that. Let's see what we can do to improve the experience for the fans. And, man, do I think that they have the the horses to do it. Um, let's get back to the uh, – I'm jumping all over the place here because I want to make sure I get all these topics in. Mercedes Monet, um, there's a lot of speculation now that she's back training, uh, that she is going to be making a decision probably within the next couple of months of where she's ultimately going to go. Uh, she didn't want to go back to WWE because Vince was in charge, but now Triple H is in charge. WWE is wicked hot right now. Do you think Mercedes is going to go home to WWE, or do you think if Tony opens the checkbook up and says you have free control to do other outside activities, you only have to work two or three days a month, um, that that may sound more appealing to her? Or do you think at the end of the day, WWE is, is what she ultimately wants and, and that's where she feels like she belongs? What's your take? Going back to WWE, I would say 80, 85% chance. I, I think that's where she's going. But Tony Khan's going to throw banana lands money at her. I think that's a fact. But I have a funny feeling she wants to go back to WWE. I see that is where she wants to be her, her landing spot. And she's gonna get it there because they're gonna throw money at her too. Don't forget. No, they're gonna throw. They're money not at gonna her. come in at, at 150k. But hey, you want to come back? Because no. they know they have no chance in hell. They're gonna throw money at her. I think that's where she goes. Don't forget her. Isn't isn't she married to one of the Usos? Or am I confusing her with uh, Naomi? I think you're confusing her with Naomi. My thought is this: at the end of the day. Yes, they are the the biggest, most well-known company. I get that 100%. In any career, in any job, any profession, outside of the fact that you love what you do. Because 
the love of what you do is huge, right? To be happy. We're only on this planet a short amount of time. We need to maximize what we do for our maximum amount of happiness. But with that being said, from a financial standpoint, it's about making money. I ever heard of every single wrestler who said that it's about making money. It's about making money and not getting my body completely destroyed. Maybe to have kids down the road, to have a family, to be able to get the hell out of this business within, you know, the next five years or whatever it may be. I think if Tony gives her a lucrative offer, because she's also interested in acting and Hollywood and all that kind of stuff, right? I think she'd definitely be able to do all of that stuff and work four days a month. And I think at the end of the day, I think it's going to be overwhelming that AEW is just going to be too much of an offer for her. And I think Tony's going to woo her. That's my my honest opinion. I can see it. But for me, I think she's going back to WWE. Now, I respect it. I just think at this point in time, I don't look at it from the glory aspect of it. Um, I look at it from the sam- simple point of, man, you know, I want to make the most amount of money I can before I retire. And whoever's going to allow me to do that and allow me to creatively tell my story the way I want, I think that's what's going to happen. Again, just my pick, just my thoughts. Um, any other thoughts, comments, concerns about wrestling? Anything that you would like to share? Or No, uh, just trying to get through next couple weeks so I can try to catch up on the wrestling world and, and see what's going on. I'm, I'm a little out of the loop, unfortunately. And, uh, that's it. I'm just glad to be back this week. Butster, it's great to have you back. Guys, and it's great to have you as well. And I know... I probably haven't said that enough this episode, but the support we get from listeners is tremendous. We're not one of the major big shows that are out there right now, but uh, we're our show that we put our heart and soul into it, and we enjoy and respect everybody who takes time to listen to us. So thank you so very much. For Christopher Butt, I am Mike Freeland. It has been so much fun. We're going to catch you guys on the next episode of the Front Row Material Brand.